What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to Tour Life. We got Yuli, as always, and a familiar face if you tuned into the Disc Golf Network last year. Uh, last year, last week, we've got the 2023 fresh off his win at the Las Vegas Challenge. Back to back? Is that correct? No. No, I won back in 2019. <laughs> Yuli, first question already failed. <laughs> <laughs> Close, close. Just already, just already butchered it. Uh, it we got his, Cal first, his first ever Elite Series win was the Las Vegas Challenge, though. So, okay, awesome um, to be able to get it again. We got a lot of a lot of good topics tonight. A lot of things dropping, uh, happening, new updates from the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Obviously, a lot to get into with the Las Vegas uh, Challenge. Not only with Calvin, but some other things that went down during the tournament. Uh, the European Open is now a qualifier. You have to qualify for it, which was news to me. Uh, we have more updates on the Natalie Ryan lawsuit. The Disc Golf Pro Tours into the season awards got a, a little bit of a fresh update as well. So lots of things to talk about. We're going to jump in first with Calvin. Calvin said he's going to stick around to talk about these other things. So I'm interested to kind of get his opinion as well. But I kind of want to just go through real quick the tournament because the first round was a weird one. Like, scores were not great. I think everyone going into that day knew the weather was really bad. And so if you could kind of just hang on, um, I think people looked back and saw, I think you shot, what, three under the first round? Yep, I shot three under. So I think people look back and, you know, like, oh, my gosh, Calvin was like way out of it. When, in fact, you probably just, you know, you're kind of in the mix. It was it was that was a tough day to go low. So did yeah. you feel did you feel like you kind of needed to really play out of your mind the last three rounds? Or did you feel like you were kind of still in the running, I guess, after that first round? Yeah, I, I don't think I felt out of it after the first round being a four-round tournament. There's still a lot of golf left. Um, I, I don't remember what the hot round was. Was it like eight down? I think yeah. it was eight. I think it was eight, so, yep. So like there was, I was like maybe five. one seven, two, yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I was only five back, so I definitely didn't feel out of it. Obviously, I would have liked to be closer. Um, I knew I was going to have to shoot good, but I don't, I don't think out of my mind is necessarily the thoughts that were going through my head. Um, I just knew I was going to have to play – a decent bit of clean golf and um you know probably be a little more aggressive in some situations than i than i wanted to be but um there was a lot of golf left at that point i wasn't too necessarily focused on the end result it's just keep playing it's first tournament of the year um everyone's gonna have little hurdles to get over well and in your defense too i i teed off around the same time you did in, in the morning and and the conditions changed drastically towards the end and at the end of the tournament for those of you who don't really realize this, but there's always a lot of featured cars that go out at the very end of the day. And so if you get stuck in that, in that kind of morning to midday, like lunchtime um, weather, I think the final like uh, featured cards got probably about seven to eight holes of like really good weather compared to what was going on earlier in the day. So you actually probably outperformed a lot of people in your flight anyways. I was one of the last tee times, so I got lucky. So you played just horrible. Wow. I played bad. <laughs> I played bad. Yuli, we're over two. We're over two. That's okay. Yeah, we're gonna bounce I mean, back. We're yeah, gonna no, bounce I back. I was on. I, I actually think I was on the last card of the day. 
um, first round. But um, that'd be funny if I did commentary on you with Joe Miss. <laughs> no, you didn't. You didn't. I think I was on the live card. Okay. But, but um, but yeah, I I um I started fine. I just had a, like a, a rough section in the middle. I think I went double bogey on what is it? It's like the par four hole t- eleven maybe. Par yeah. four. It's like an easy par four. Kevin eagled it round three. Oh, the one over the green. Yeah, yeah. I, I took did a you, six did on you that not, one. Did you what? not cl- clear the green? I uh, chucked it in the lake on the right. That can happen as well. And then yep. and then I left myself with a not great, you know, approach. And then I ran a putt and then I missed a putt and I tapped in a nice double. But, um, yeah, I, I played, I started off fine. And then I had a rough stretch there. It was like, I think I went something like double bogey. Then I parred the easy par five, parred the next hole, then bogey the next hole. So, um, kind of got rid of my birdies and, but I was able to get three, three of the last four, I think that round to get back to three under. So I had, a little momentum going into the the second the second round, but um, I definitely knew I had a lot of things to work on. My putting wasn't very good that round. Honestly, I threw quite a few bad shots, so nothing was really clicking. But um, as I said, there was still a lot of the tournament left and time to fix things. Did you guys did you guys like the change in having two courses instead of three this year? Yeah, I, I personally liked it. Um, I kind of feel like three courses to practice and learn and. A span of basically three days is kind of overkill it's not like i wouldn't expect everyone to go out there and kind of play amazing golf on every single course with as little practice as you're giving them um i also wasn't really a huge fan of the infinite course uh normally we'd go out there round one and there'd be multiple people going like nine under through nine so i don't think it's a very challenging course for our, our division at this point so i think it's a good thing that we got rid of that course what about like what about the three round compared to the four round tournaments like this obviously starts off the year and then bam four round tournament and the rest of the year we don't have one of those till what ledgestone or or green mountain how do you feel about like three rounders compared to four rounds? would you rather have is it really that long no we got champions cup coming up in spring well majors are always going to be yeah yeah but the next elite series that is is wow okay yeah yeah. i guess we don't have that many four round tournaments really Yeah, I mean, we really don't. Um, I definitely feel like uh, if you play bad early, it definitely gives you a, a chance to make up ground. But that's also because we don't, like, cut our four-round tournaments after two rounds, um, like you see in golf. So, uh, I mean, personally, like, I enjoy it because I feel like it's pretty hard for me to, like, miss a cut or anything with the extra rounds. I always feel like more time benefits me. Um, yep. So, uh I like the, the longer tournaments, but um, yeah, I guess. Rather have just like one course, though. Um, yeah, I, I think I think one course is probably ideal, but like I'm not I'm not opposed to like playing one course and then having like pin placements change. Um, okay. I don't think that's something we really see in our sport, and I, I think it's something that there are places that we could do it. Like there are places where you could, you could move a basket, you know, 80 feet in a different direction and kind of really change the approach. Um, I think, you know, change, like, I feel like putting for us uh, is fairly simple in our sport. And like, I think changing up, like we need to figure out a way to like change up our, like making approaching the basket more difficult. Um, 
and sometimes that may just be like changing it up you know every every other round rather than having the same shot every round and people are just getting super dialed in with a singular shot we'll get into obviously some of the theatrics and drama that ended up happening towards the end of the final round but when you're talking about pin placements the hole that jumps out to me right away is you know on the final day moving hole 17 at innova up to like the old pin placement and maybe a little bit more left like tucked a little bit more near the car path i think that would allow um everyone to kind of get aggressive on that last hole and bring that ob into play on the tee shot and also putting so i'm i'm with you i i think the other thing too would be cool i've always said if we could make bigger tee pads you could essentially uh dictate what side of the tee pad you can throw from one day and so that you know if you go if you think back to like portland open uh two years ago when they were allowing when all of a sudden there was like oh yeah these t-pads aren't good you guys can throw on the sides of the t-pad how that opened up so many different lines and and angles for us yeah that makes me think like if you can utilize that with some of these holes now obviously vegas is a little bit different because it's so open but some of these other courses if you can only throw on the left side of the t-pad it very well could force you to have to throw a completely different shot than on the right side of the tee pad. And so you're not even necessarily changing the hole that much. You're just literally making the angle change, which forces you to have to throw a different shot. Um, I'm all for that, especially when we are doing, you know, four rounds or three rounds at one course, because I could see how it could kind of get a little monotonous, especially when we have four people on the card, all throwing the same shot every single day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could see that working. I know Portland definitely, yeah, expanding the T-patch changed how that course played quite a bit. Um, it played significantly easier in that case because you, you had the option of pretty much doing whatever you wanted and kind of eliminated some of the gap shots. But yep. I could definitely see that being a way to force gap shots some rounds and then kind of allowing people to open up to the open airspace others at, at some courses. I don't, know that, I don't know if that would work everywhere, but some places no. it definitely would. The other thing I'd say about two courses, what do you guys, I, this tournament just like doesn't feel like it needs two courses because they're, they're so similar. I like the two courses when it is like a Ledgestone or like a GC of where you get the, you know, your Fox run, you're out in the open, lots of OB placement shots, having to deal with the wind. And then you go into Brewster and you're playing against in the woods. Like I like when you have like those kind of, contrasting courses what is your guys' thoughts when it's two courses that are very similar to the point of where you know if you just showed someone a clip a fan of like hey look at the shot i had they would not be able to tell you what course you were on yeah i mean i I think i i do like the juxtaposition i like the tournaments that have like the you know the wooded course and the open course more than just two courses that are the same um i don't know if we really have that situation anywhere else other than in Vegas, um, I think that might be the only place where we really play two different courses that are kind of similar in style. Milo, yeah, I get that. That would probably be it. I mean, those like are a little bit of like kind of the same vibe there. I would say, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that. I mean, because I think normally there's just one 20-something hole course out there anyways, and they add extra holes, so part Someone of the... Uh, jumping off. Yeah. 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 Where think, what do you think, Yuli? Yeah, there's definitely not a lot of courses where there's there's multiple courses that we play anyway. And the ones that we do, you know, Ledgestone and then, uh, what do you call it? Um, Green Mountain. Green Mountain. And then Worlds last year, like in Emporia, uh, you play a couple different courses, right? Yeah. Um, so Worlds, usually you have a couple different courses. But I feel like Majors should always be on one course, personally. Should be one course, four rounds. I feel like that would that would get your your major champion. But, I mean, what's my opinion worth? These guys do whatever they want. Whoever gets the bid in, that's who's getting the tournament, it seems like. I've been on saying the, that for years. On the infrastructure side, though, I also think, like, doing multiple courses has to be a lot harder on the Pro Tour, right? Like, having to have signage mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, spectator parking and uh, making sure that there's fencing up and – I just feel like there's extra work to be done when you have multiple courses than if you just had one course that you could focus on and making sure everything was perfect for that one course. And and the sad thing is usually the places that we play, honestly, if there's two courses, there's only one place that has two courses that I really love, and that's uh, Vermont. I like those two courses. I like what they what they give to each other. But I do think on that on the property there you could combine those two courses and make just like a dream 18. That would be phenomenal. And I'm like, uh, I would rather play the black course in at Ledgestone than play the other one. Eureka period. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, is that the one you don't like Eureka? Yeah. I mean, you I, I don't, I would just, there's usually a better course when you have two of them, you know what I mean? And then you're like, okay, mm -hmm. I'd rather play this one twice or four times anyway, compared to the other one. Like I would have rather played the end of a course, all, all the rounds instead of having two courses, you know, there's usually just a better course. And so I, I always had a hard time, like justifying, like being like, well, it's sweet that we have two courses when usually there's, a, <laughs> there's an obvious better course right in front of you that you play. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, before we jump into the final round here, Yuli, do you want to me have me and you kind of quickly recap our Las Vegas challenge? Because I'm sure people watching would love to kind of hear what happened with yours. Yeah. And then I can quickly kind of go through mine, and then we can jump into the man himself sure. about it. So, like, how did what was your Las Vegas challenge experience like? My Las Vegas challenge started pretty good. I mean, I was playing well in practice. Uh, I felt like I had the courses pretty dialed. I mean, the courses didn't really change that much. I, I heard that there was going to be a lot of changes, and then I got there, and there was like three things that were different. And I'm like, all right, this isn't that big a deal. Uh, first round happened, and I, like I was saying, me and Calvin, both Calvin and I got stuck in that bad weather, remember? Mm -hmm. It was yeah. upon <laughs> us, man. He shot three, I shot two. But the two under that I shot, was actually pretty good. And I did mm -hmm. something similar. I got the last three holes to make it feel even better. And so I got out of there with a two under. Which you I go cap pretty... wrap uh, flex on 17? Nuke. Nuke flex. <laughs> Nuke oh. flex. Okay. 
I just got I like it. I don't know how it happened, but we we got them. And then uh, <laughs> the next day, the next day I got up and I felt great, man. I really did. And my first shot, uh, oh, first shot of the tournament was hilarious. My first shot of the tournament, my sleeve fell down and hit my hand. And I hit the first tree on the right that's like eight feet in front of I saw that on Yudas. I saw that you went OB. I, I guess you ended up weren't you weren't OB when you got up there. But initially I like saw like Yuli after one throw OB and I'm like, oh my God, he just shanked it straight. I had to right. call provisional because I literally hit the first tree. It was eight feet in front of the T pad, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if that's in bounds. Sorry, guys. I got to call a provisional. I don't know if there's a line of that. There. That tee shot's kind of nervy, right? Like for the first <laughs> shot of the year to start your season, that shot's a little. No, Calvin, you don't think so? Is that so gap is big enough? It's, it's pretty solid size gap, and it's like <laughs> right there. Like it's not like it's not like it's far off the tee pad. It's like. <laughs> There's some room okay, out to well, right. It's yeah, a little, it's, okay, it's a little yeah. nervy. It's a little nervy for me, for me at least. And so, yeah, I definitely bogeyed the first hole, which was hilarious to start my year. I'm like, oh, this is going to be just a fantastic time. <laughs> and it was just a battle the whole round in the wind. But then second round came, and I felt good, man. My first shot off the tee, throw it, hit the tree by the hill, out of bounds. So I bogeyed the first hole. So now I'm like, okay, this is kind Seeing of... Seeing a pattern. Yeah, and then I'm like, all right, sweet. Bogey the first hole again. Then I got two, I got three. Um, Pard four, I think I get to five. And then I got the, like, kind of the putting woes. I was just outside the circle. Top band rolled out of bounds, re-putted, missed it. So now all of a sudden I got a double. And that's kind of how my tournament went from there on out is... I played really good. I putted well in the circle. I threw well off the tee, but I kept landing at about 40 feet. And on that course, it's if you're landing score. at 40 feet and you're running those putts, which I got into a position where I'm trying to get back into contention, so you're obviously running those putts hard. And I rolled out of bounds from just outside the circle six times. Mm. And so that really cost me. And then the final round I got to watch, which was good. So I got to watch Calvin play because I did not make the cut. It sucked, man. I got to the final hole, and I, I made a little push the final. I was going to say, how close did you end up getting? Were you, like, score tracking to kind of see where the cut yeah, was, was going? I was playing well the final round. Like, I actually had a good round, and I was playing well. I had a couple bad breaks again. But I had a putt on 18 to shoot a 10, which would have got me to 11 under. And I thought at the time that would have got me in. I got a story for you, too, with the cut. You guys are going to love to hear this story. And then so I jump it. Woo! Think I make it. High right chains. Falls on the rim. Rolls. You know the story. And I end up shooting, I think, a seven under the final round. Which, solid, though, on that course. Yeah. Yeah. And if I make that, that's a 10. That's solid. But even if it was, it was a good thing, because even if I make it, 12 under got in. Yeah. So it didn't cost me. Yeah. That would have been tough. Uh, my tournament in a nutshell, honestly, I thought I wasn't going to make the cut if you if I had to bet one way or the other. Um, I just, Obviously, this year, I just completely changed my offseason about just not playing disc golf and, and focusing more on my fitness side. So I knew a lot of my sh shots were going to be rusty, and my putting was just not – I wasn't very confident, kind of with what you were saying, Yuli. I, I found myself in a lot of these – 
40, 35 footers, and I was not really giving them a chance to go in. And on a course, courses like that, that are pretty much birdie or die out there, you kind of need to make that happen. Um, Where are you airballing? I did one. I had, it, I saved it. Not, I'll tell you that much, man. I wish I was off by a lot on those baskets. I saved it to the very last, very last uh, round. I airballed a birdie on hole 14 and then ended up missing the comebacker to bogey. So like that was brutal. But, um, you know, all things considered, like I started my final round pretty good. I was three under through the first three. Uh, and then like one another, I think Innova, my first round at Innova, uh, I ended up missing, I think I was like two or three under on the front nine and I missed four putts for birdie inside the circle on the front nine. So I was like throwing really well. I just wasn't scoring, but ultimately I made the cut. I'm not too upset with that. Um, we'll talk about this in a second, but Calvin's big forehand, my big forehand, we're back. We are power forehand throwers now this year. Yeah. Um, so that felt good. And the body held up. That was the big thing. I was still able to get my four lifts in. I was still able to get all my runs in last week and play. And my body felt great every single round. So pretty excited for that. And obviously now it's just kind of getting back into the practice. So, all right, enough about me and Yuli here. Let's get into the nitty gritty here with Calvin. I want to kind of just go through some of your shots on the final round and Yuli, if you have anything please cut me off and jump in but i just re-watched or i watched for the first time your final round yesterday and there was a couple shots i just kind of want to get an idea of what was kind of going through your head so you started the round well you were making putts all over the place yeah. hole five comes up you get in a really interesting spot you are five feet left of eagle in this situation and you're on the right hand side of the par four yeah. was that tree was that tree in your way enough to to force you to throw that flex forehand to not go backhand like eagle did were, were you too so, pinched off there yeah i wasn't completely pinched off the backhand was definitely in play i was just more there's like these little low like sticky branches that were kind of in the backhand line that mm -hmm. um I was more worried about than uh, the green with the forehand. Um, I mean, I, I threw I threw a faster disc. Uh, I meant to put it out wider and skip it off the green, but uh, I sawed it off a little and then, you know, skipped and then rolled, you know, I think to like circle's edge. But uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't very comfortable with, with those little twiggy branches for some reason. And anytime you kind of feel uncomfortable with the shot and there's another option, you should probably just stick away from what you're not feeling comfortable with. And the way you're putting at that point in time, I bet it was kind of like, if I just, I know the forehand's going to get me a putt. And, yeah. and the backhand, like you were saying, the backhand, something could go wrong to where you might not even have a putt. So even though the shot wasn't maybe the greatest and didn't execute well, you still gave yourself a putt and ended up making it. So yeah, when you're like, when you're confident on the green like that, it kind of opens up the ability of just being like, I'm just going to chuck something up there to give myself a chance. Cause that was the safe play. I guess you could say about just kind of having it skip off the hill and go down to the right of the basket. Are you yeah. a percentage guy or are you uh, like throw what's comfortable in that moment? Like, are, are you the, are you the guy who's, there's a big gap. It's the obvious gap, but you've been throwing it 
a different shot a little better. Like for me, sometimes I'll go sidearm turnover on like up shots to where it's like an easy hyzer, but that's like my go-to. I know I'm going to get up and down. In situations like that, when you're battling for the win, do you go to the percentages and say, okay, I'm going wide because I know I'm going to get a um, – or do you play to, like, park the hole? Like we were talking about this yeah. last week with Eagle or with Gannon, and they were talking about, like, landing on the tailwind side and really, like, focusing on getting to that side of the basket where I, I have a different thought process where I'm just trying to get it close and then I know I'm going to make it. You know what I mean? I'm not really like thinking about those yeah. little details. Yeah, I honestly don't spend too much time thinking about what side the wind's coming on the basket. I guess I'd be more like you in that way, where I'm just um, I'm trying to get it close. I think uh, that's how champions think, dude. I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, me and Gannon tied, so our playing style did not work. But maybe wait. Did, what what finish did you finish, Yuli? What Six place did you finish? We're thirtieth. You guys, we're thirtieth, and you guys are like thirty-two point five average. So take that for sorry, dude. Take that for what it is. I would have made it farther up though if I got another <laughs> round. See, that's that is true. Yeah. All right, let's jump to hole seven now, Calvin. Hole seven. Uh, what after you know after I think you were like. Five under through six, right? Did you miss? I was, I would four under through six. I missed holes two and three. I missed a circle one putt on three. That's right. A bad tee shot on two. So I would have been, yeah, four under through six. Okay, so four under through six, which is honestly, that's what you want at that point. Maybe you can get yeah. to five, um, but hole, hole four is a pretty tough birdie. So that, you're, you're in a good spot at this point. You double seven. What, like, what? What's going through your mind at this point in time? Because you've got this great round happening, and then all of a sudden it feels like I just completely ran into a brick wall. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty frustrated with myself, you know, as it played out. Um, I mean, I, I had the box to start the hole. Uh, we kind of had a, a tail right to left. Um, I had been in practice, I had, I had been throwing like a, a color glow eagle um on that hole that was my play but that eagle for whatever reason had started to like pop up and turn on me later in those last so were you going rounds. for like a lower a lower flight and then trying to get yeah. like that late skip off the green up into the basket yeah it's kind of what i was playing um and you know hopefully you know you catch a bunker if you're and then i mean i don't know i just i hadn't had a whole lot of luck throwing the high driver shot but um mm-hmm. and honestly when i threw it i, I ended up changing you know my disc to the new fairway that i'm throwing the the vila by millennium and it's it's similar to an eagle um i threw it and i didn't feel too bad about it but the the wind just got way under it got there so fast like it had no chance really of sticking like i had to nail a bunker or i was i was toast with how fast it was coming into that the green so um i mean when i saw it hit by the basket i wasn't surprised that i went out of bounds uh and then i just threw an awful approach i just threw a from the drop zone i just threw it flat onto the green which you know if there's sticky. one place on that course that's sticky it's the golf greens like you can't hit flat if you're going to hit them they got to be with some kind of angle to pop off so it was just too i mean the first one i wasn't i mean i was upset because it's like a 400 foot par four that i'm now best case scenario is a bogey but like that can happen but the the drop zone shot um 
happening after that. Like that's just really a no-go in that situation. Um, pretty much worst case scenario, ended up with that double bogey on a hole that, you know, a lot of people too. So I, I, I really gave up four strokes to a lot of the people that, a lot of people that shoot hot rounds, they, they do that hole. So, mm-hmm. um, gave up a lot of strokes there. And, uh, so, so what is your thought? There's a little bit of a walk from hole seven to hole eight. What's going through your mind on that walk? Um, you know, nothing really that good. Um, PG version. So you, yeah, so you're not I'm like a pot. You're not, you're not doing positive talk of like, you still got this man. Come on. Like you're, you're not, well, you're, you're kind of on the negative train. I, I guess I don't think I'm really even looking at the complete end game at that point. I, I mean, I don't know. It's when you take a double bogey on a hole that you feel like should be like at worst or four, um, two strokes worse than like in your mind, which would be worst case scenario. You're pretty frustrated and it's, it's not even really that long of a walk. So it's kind of, um, there's not a whole lot of time to cool off, but yeah, I was, I was pretty frustrated with myself. There was, uh, definitely some words said to myself and, uh, but I mean, I, I knew I, I mean, I've definitely in the past, you know, I just kind of use that frustration and, um, I try to push through it, uh, and kind of let it drive me to do better. Um, I knew I knew there's still time, but I also knew at the same time that taking a double on that hole severely hurt my chances of, you know, contending for the win. You were going to need at that point. You were going to need a little help, probably, is what you were thinking. Yeah, at that I point, was, Kevin kind of had a pretty big lead on you. Yeah, I was either going to have to. I'm curious about you saying that you use your frustration to like push forward, like explain that a little bit, because I feel like that's like a tough thing for a lot of people to do. And I'm wondering if that's like a, a maybe a teachable thought process. Um, I don't know if it's like the smart way to play disc golf, but I honestly, I feel like when I play disc golf there, I have the, uh, the play I should throw. And then there's my, frustration driven play that's a little more aggressive and um potentially can have really really good rewards but it can also you know kind of kind of tumble on you pretty quick and um i try to stick away from you know letting that that frustration driven shot to to come out but um sometimes that's the only way you can let it out sometimes you just need to take a whole throw maybe a little harder than than you should and um you know, try to find a way to calm yourself down. And for me, it's just kind of letting it all out. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. All right. We're, we're going to skip a couple holes here and bounce, bounce to hole 15. Now, yeah. uh, this was, this was a hotly debated topic on debate night this week. I feel like people that weren't there don't really quite understand one, how difficult these final holes coming in are. And then on top of that, when you have 20 mile an hour winds with gusts that are just kind of, you know, all of a sudden it's a headwind and it's a left to right. And then, a, uh, you know, it's a 30 yeah. mile an hour gust. Like these holes coming in are extremely, extremely difficult. Uh, hole 15, I kind of want to because I, I speculated on your thought process. And for those listening, hole 15 is the par four, used to be a par five actually, 
but they've changed it to a par four now, which I think is a good change. And then they moved the basket that was kind of right behind the green, and they've kind of tucked it now behind and to the right, closer yeah. to the OB. So I think it's a great change. It plays 888 on the, on the, on the scorecard. However, in the wind, I feel like it was probably playing closer to like 925, 950 maybe with how windy it was. I want to kind of hear, because I speculated a little bit uh, last night on like what I thought was going through your head. I kind of want you just to, to walk us through that hole from the tee all the way to uh, your second shot there. Oh, so you're, you're talking about 16, right? No, the, the par... It's 16's the par, the par four, but 15 is oh. the par three. Oh, yeah, okay. So I guess we... Sorry. Yeah, 16 was I was talking about. 15, you threw... Let's actually talk about 15 before we go to 16. Sorry. I jumped okay. ahead. I got too excited. Let's talk about 15 real quick. 15, you, I think, were first on the tee, if I remember. Yep. Yeah, I was and first on the tee. you just had a ripping headwind, and you decided to throw a, a late hyzer flip that flexed out at the end. Pro, I called it the shot of the tournament. Do you think that was your best shot that you threw the entire tournament? Um... I mean, I don't know if it was my best shot. I honestly think I think the shot on 16, the approach was probably better, but I mean that the shot I did throw on on 15 is is right there next to it. Um yeah, ripping headwind. I don't know exactly how long the hole is. It's probably like low to mid 4. It's probably like 440ish maybe. I think with the wind it was definitely playing over but, 4. Yeah, I think it was playing probably, over the probably number. Played, but yeah. played longer in the wind. Um mm -hmm. typically I'm throwing like a super flippy fairway driver there and kind of corkscrewing it to play that hole. But um with that headwind that wasn't possible. So I went to kind of a straight destroyer. Um at that point I mean I'm two back and I know like I I pretty much need birdies. Like I'm I I'm clawing for birdies at that point to have any kind of chance because they're all hard to get at that point. Like there is not, I mean, 18 is probably the easiest hole left. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I threw that destroyer and um, put it at circle's edge and was able to make that the, the putt um, and uh, brought it down to one, which was pretty, pretty crucial. Um, to, Are you uh, playing for the tailwind putt there? No, I was not playing for the tailwind putt. <laughs> Anything remotely close to the basket to give me a putt would have been, would have been great. Um, honestly, my miss is like low, so like tailwind putts for me are kind of a nightmare. Like I, mm. like they already like tailwinds are wanting to slam your putter down, and like I typically miss low. So like I'm just like man, try to throw this as high as you can, get it over that rim. But um, like I would rather have a, a headwind putt and just like slowly let it float at the basket. Um, Okay, so but, walk uh, us now, after you cash that in, walk us now through 16. Because that I think that really changed the entire landscape of uh, the tournament there. I think that put a lot more you know, pressure on Kevin, uh, you know, leading into obviously 18 where you guys were both tied. Yeah, so um, 16, as you were saying, it's like a super long par four. They tucked a green into a place that's, a, that's tougher to access now than it was before. Um, they even used to call the hole when the pin was an easier in an easier placement of par five. So really hard hole, and we're playing into a screaming headwind. Um, and then also, like, 
the the tee shot on that that hole like it doesn't allow you to just like open up to straight distance you're kind of forced into throwing a, a hyzer angle off the tee because just the way the trees stack up and then you need to work back left in order to kind of have an accessible shot into the green so um i pretty much, i took my most overstable driver and, and threw it really hard um i'm not sure exactly how far it was but it was pretty much as as far as I was going to get it to go. It looked about 450 based off of the yeah. sign is what I would what I call, which was probably what because it was hard to tell from the Jomez coverage. Were you a good 50, 60 feet ahead of Eagle? Because Eagle was way left. No, I, I wasn't really that far ahead of Eagle. Um, I was a decent bit farther than than Kevin. Um, yeah, Kevin looked. Kevin looked like he was maybe a hundred feet short of the five hundred foot sign. Yeah, you, uh, but Eagle and I were. 50. Eagle and I were. I was probably a little farther than him, but not not a whole lot. He was kind of close to that one last small tree on the left. I was way more right than he was. Um, so, like direct but, line to the basket, you were probably thirty feet closer though. Maybe you just went yeah. direct line. Okay. Yeah, and so. so so after you threw that drive and you're getting up to your disc, there's no doubt in your mind that you're like, I have to try to birdie this hole. Um, at first, it was kind of indecisive. Um, I don't know. I hadn't quite thought through everything. Um, like, I mean, it's playing far into that headwind. And, uh, I mean, did there's always the fear. There's always the fear watching, of turning it up. Did watching Eagle throw his shot, like, give you like kind of the green light because you see his kind of get there pretty easily or or no um no I, I honestly didn't pay that much attention to eagle shot um like i mean i saw it i saw it turn and i saw him go out of bounds but it wasn't i don't know i wasn't like i don't in that situation for me it's like yeah it's good to have the wind read but like i if i'm going to throw the shot to get to the green i need to just believe in myself so i'm sitting there battling myself as to whether or not this is my moment or not um in order to make up that one stroke and you know i had two discs in my hand i had like my layup firebird play in the hand and i had i had that quasar that i threw off the tee in my hand as well and okay, so um, it was the same disc okay it was the exact yeah. same disc and uh you know i kind of came to the conclusion that like you know i, I had just thrown that disc it didn't like roll over or do anything weird and I, that shot honestly like was probably going to be shorter shot than 17 and if i wanted to be tied going into 18 like i that was that was my moment essentially to to flip the script from being you know the guy chasing the lead to you know maybe having a piece of it so um yeah i decided to go for it and uh pretty much yeah through a very similar shot to what i did off the tee and it really i got great ground action when I hit that hill um, combination of that hillside and then maybe just the headwind that just pretty much stopped it even I think it it went right even it did go a little right yeah you got a little any skip out of it so I got some pretty fortunate ground action I know like the whatever the first uh, the second round we played that course like I threw and like I got a huge flare off that hill and ended up like 80 feet left so um you know, I, I definitely some fortunate ground play there as well. But, you know, I I gave the disc a chance to stay there, and it did. And, um, yeah, I got a really key birdie, you know, coming down the stretch. So you're not a, not a range finder guy. You did, did you range find kind of to see 
how far you had to throw to clear that green? No, I uh, I did not have a range finder. Um, I didn't travel with one. I do have one. Honestly, I don't normally bag it. I uh, I don't know. I feel like it would be kind of a little hypocritical. I'm kind of in the camp of we shouldn't be using range finders during the tournament. Um, I think that's why you go out there and practice. Like, if you want to give yourself notes, like bring a notebook out and practice, and you can lazy yourself and and uh, and put it down in a notebook. Um, I just, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that's that's part of being a professional. You know, you go out there, you do your homework, and um, you know your homework can involve that rangefinder. But I think when it comes down to playing, like I don't, I don't think other competitors should have to wait on you sitting there and using your electronic device. And I, I don't know. It's just not something I, I necessarily think should be part of the actual tournament. Um, I will say it does look kind of weird. See, yeah. like having someone bust out like a notebook or something, kind of looking at it, that to me probably looks a little cooler than someone like doing this. I use a rangefinder, but um I wouldn't be opposed if they, they outlawed it or banned it. Yeah, I mean... I would just like just, the caddy books to be a little bit more prepared, I guess, or detailed. If they did yeah. do that, that would yeah, probably I mean, be a Yeah, I mean, I could definitely... Yeah, I could see that. I um, I don't know. I, I definitely, you know, throw a lot of shots in practice from different spots. So I have a pretty mm-hmm. good idea of where I am and mentally note landmarks. Um, so I, I had a good idea of how far I was. And I did have one practice round that I played with Zach uh, Melton that actually played into a very similar wind. Um, so I was fortunate to where it, it wasn't the first time I was ripping into a pretty stiff headwind on that approach. And I, I had seen myself do it before, just not in a situation where anything actually mattered. Mattered. Ooh, Zach Melton's a pretty tough guy to beat sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's good training right there. Yeah. All he's right, a, let's, he's a good let's talker. Ju- Let's jump ahead because hole 17, nothing, nothing really, you know, you, you threw the best shot of the group, but that hole was just playing. And it was interesting what you said about you were thinking on hole 16, the shot I have right now is probably very similar to the shot I have to do on 17, but I'm like 50 feet closer. So I might as well just go for it here. Uh, you almost, you mean, you almost got the remarkable 15, 16, 17 birdie, which I don't know if anyone, I, I would doubt that anyone did that. I think there was only like six or seven birdies on hole 16, the entire final round. So you almost pulled off the impossible there. So let's jump to 18 real quick, all tied up. You've got the box at, you know, at this point, AB and Eagle are pretty much out of it. Everyone in the clubhouse is pretty much out of it. It's going to come down to you or Kevin. You're teeing off before Kevin. Was yep. there, what was your play? I guess what was your play on 18 on, on, um, two, on the second round? How did you play 18? Um, I always played to like that second landing zone. Um, I uh, basically throw, a, I was throwing a hyzer into that second landing zone. Okay. And then trying to throw, you know, some form of putter or mid into the, into the green. So your strategy, it wasn't like you wanted to go more aggressive to put a little pressure on Kevin there. You were going with the same shot that you went in round two. Yeah, same, well, yeah. I, I was going with the same shot. that I, I did definitely didn't execute the shot that I envisioned in my head. Um, 
I pulled it. Like I, I've said that already. Um, and definitely chunked off more of that fairway than I wanted to. Uh, I mean, I threw it pretty hard, which in my head was my, my miss. Like my miss in my mind was make sure if you go out of bounds, you're going out of bounds in the pond long. Give yeah. yourself the easy approach for, um, for par. But, uh, yeah, I, I pulled the disc. I was definitely a little worried when it was out there flying. And then when it, you know, stuck over there, I was a little shocked. I, I was surprised that it actually made it that far. Um, but definitely was feeling pretty good uh, about, you know, my chances of, you know, getting a birdie on the hole, which I wouldn't be surprised at that point if that's what was needed just to push a playoff. Was that the same disc that you threw on 16? Yep, that's the same exact disc. I threw on 16 twice. Yeah. Okay. So you stuck it basically right next to the, to the sidewalk, which you were going to have. I was like, Oh snap. He's going to have like a little awkward kind of like run up with this weird, with the OB right behind and then on the Hill, but you were so far up there that I didn't think it was going to be too much of an issue. Walk us through what was going on with like Kevin's shot. And Yuli, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts too on like Kevin's play because to me it looked like he was playing for short of the sidewalk. I think it was a misrelease, honestly. I think he got a misrelease and then on top of that he got like a really horrible wind bounce. I think he's going for the fat part of that fairway across the pond left. And I think he might have just let it go a little bit low and then not mm. get any lift at all. And because of that, it just dropped. And then it looked like, you know, the worst shot of all time. I think that it was just a little bit of a misrelease with height. And then he didn't get the, yeah, the, the, those results. I, I don't think there's a situation after seeing Calvin do what he did where you're not going for the fat part of that fairway over there. You can still birdie it short of the sort of the car path, but it is like four twenty four thirty over there. So yeah, but it, it's also it's, the it's a lot harder. Chose. The disc that he chose is his. It looked like his go for it disc. It didn't look like hmm. he chose like something slower, because then that's what I would think you would do is take something like an overstable fairway driver and chip it over to the left hand side, and and he's not going to make a big time mistake like that. But I mean, the only person who really knows is him. Calvin, any thoughts when you kind of saw him throw that shot and the when you saw it ended up being OB? Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine he was he was going for, you know, over that car path towards more towards where, you know, the second landing zone is. I can't I can't imagine that he was trying to to lay up short and leave himself with 400 plus into that green in the wind. It, it just I don't I don't think that's like a real winning strategy there. Um yeah, I think it was just like a little low, and then yeah, he definitely got like a a drop, like the disc dropped significantly, um, and yeah, just really just had no chance of getting getting over that that water once it it got dropped. So I I, I think it might have just been a slight misrelease low, and um, you know with that like head crosswind, it just kind of completely killed, killed the disc. So I mean, are you walking up at this point, being like this? I I just won this tournament. Um. I'm definitely not one to sit there and like count people out before it's over. Um, I mean, I'm definitely feeling pretty good about my chances. I mean, Kevin's, you know, still got a long way to go to get to the basket and, you know, he's going to have to 
you know, give himself a, a putt to, in my mind, to really have a chance at even making me, you know, do it. I, I, I don't know. I felt like I had a pretty easy birdie, but like a really, really easy par. Yep. And um, I mean, maybe there would have been a lot more pressure if he had put, you know, a shot close after going OB. And, you know, maybe that birdie isn't as easy as I feel it is now or like how I felt when I got up there and he was still, you know, 200 feet away from the basket. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I am feeling good about myself, but I'm definitely not counting. It's not over till till it's over. Yuli, anything else to finish up with the uh, LVC here? With, well, I with mean, Calvin's performance? then we got to talk about how close he was to actually making it. With yeah, I mean, that nuts. was nuts. <laughs> nuts. Like, it almost <laughs> dropped straight down into there. Which would have forced you to have to actually birdie it, like you were talking about. That yeah, been, yeah. Been I would have had to make that, like, 30 to 35 foot putt. Yeah, you had already, yeah, you had already yeah. laid it up kind of to guarantee the par. <laughs> so that was yeah. Easy yeah, I wasn't going to push the OB, you know, like, you know, after seeing where his, his third shot landed, like, I'm not going to put any OB into play. Like, no. I just skipped it up into that hill. I left myself with a chance at the putt, you know, if I needed it or, or whatnot. But um, that would have been a pretty nervy putt if he had thrown it in, you know, 30 to 35 footer in wind, OB right behind the basket. Certainly would have been one to think about. Yeah, and then my next question is, when you're when you're up there battling with, uh, you know, the final round was Anthony, Kevin, and Eagle. When you're starting that round, are you thinking like, no, I'm the man, like, I'm the best player on this card. They're going to have to come get me. Or, or or knowing that Eagle has the titles that he has, I know when I'm playing in big situations, I kind of single some people out to where I can be like, oh, no, that guy's kind of going to fold. Like I don't really have to worry about him yet because of just the way that people are. Do you, do you have that same mindset or do you just like focus on yourself, don't care who you play with? Um, I think I'm pretty focused on myself. Uh I don't know. I just I think when you get into final rounds, you know, one round, it can be anyone's day, you know. So I think in my mindset, it's like, you know, anyone that's put themselves in that situation through three rounds, they they're they're literally as close as they're ever going to be to to winning it. You know, they just got one more round ahead of them. So uh, I focus more on myself. Don't think necessarily too much about the competitors. Um, maybe think a little bit about who I'm battling with, you know, coming down the stretch with a, a few holes left. But um, at the beginning of the round, I'm just trying to focus in on myself, get as many birdies as I can, because regardless of what they do, if I'm sitting there and stacking birdies, you know, they're going to have to be doing that too, or else I'm running away with the tournament. And then I saw an interview with you that you did, uh, I think it was after you won. And you were talking about like knowing Kevin's game plan, like you're going to push the envelope. You were going to like yeah. kind of be a bit more aggressive. And I really feel like that had a big time factor in winning the tournament, obviously. Um, have you ever done that, though? Have you ever, like, gone to holes and just laid up knowing that people were kind of going to get into trouble? Because I feel like that's what he was kind of doing. And honestly, I don't mind him, the plays that he made, only because, like, the shots that you made to win the tournament were incredible. Like, they weren't easy shots that anybody in the field are going to make over and over and over again like that those were risky shots. And if you mess one of those up, it's over and Kevin wins. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think I don't really can't think of many instances where I've necessarily like played the end of a course that way. Uh, I don't think I've really 
put myself in the situation where I'm coming down the stretch and I can, you know, kind of wait for someone else to mess up. But like when I think of all the times I've won, it's not like I've been blowing the field out and, mm-hmm. you know, could walk it in. I've sure. honestly, I don't know exactly what it is, but I mean, I've had like three playoff wins and then all the other wins I think I have are probably within one or two strokes. So everything's always been close and laying up has not really been, been a choice. So like Your brain's going to explode if you have like a four-shot lead with three holes to play. You're not going to know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't want to put myself in that situation. But, no, I, I mean, like I did know kind of what Kevin's game plan was going to be. I, I watched his round two coverage. So um, I saw how he played the back nine, and it was certainly more conservative than uh, than I was playing it. And I knew, I knew going into the round that if I could – if I was close going to the back nine, I was going to have opportunities to make up strokes on the back nine to possibly contend for the win. Um, granted, I mean, whether or not you actually execute those opportunities, you know, I, I like, I, I don't think if I played, like if we go to the last four holes of that round and it's like me versus Kevin heads up like that, like he probably wins 90 some odd out of a hundred times. Like, like yeah. him walking in, him, what? You're saying in that in the same conditions, you same guys conditions, are same conditions. I I think Kevin wins ninety some odd times out of a hundred. Like, like you're telling me that because like I'm basically what has to happen in the situation is like I have to birdie fifteen and sixteen. Yeah. Oh yes, 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 yes. Sorry, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. You're like probably if not I, birdie. If I'm playing the you're, last yeah. four holes. I'm back two no. holes, like two no. strokes. Like I I think. No, there's a real easy chance that your 16 shot is just a little bit worse than how you pulled it off, and you go OB and you bogey the hole, and now Kevin can just walk it in. Yeah, but so it's like even even let's say in like some of the scenarios, like I birdie 16. It's like what are the odds I birdied 15 right before that? That is so true. Now, yeah. I'm, now I'm pushing on 17, which is just as risky of a shot as my second shot on 16. So like, it's just like like most scenarios, Kevin ends up with you know a stroke to play with on the 18th hole. So like he doesn't have to necessarily be as aggressive. Like maybe he can, he can lay up to that first zone and like, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of most situations don't involve me and Kevin going into that last hole tied in those conditions. That's where I found it so funny. Cause when I did that, that live stream last night, when I was rewatching it, there's so many comments of people being like, Oh, I had no idea how difficult those holes were. And I don't know, I don't know how to change that or how to like, you know, maybe get boots on the ground out there during live coverage to talk more about those holes. I just think people completely overplayed how, like people just thought your birdie on 15 and 16 was like, yeah, duh, it's Calvin. Obviously he's birding 15, 16. And then people thinking that you having a putt on 17 is like, yeah, of course. It's like, what? It's not that like those three holes are freaking hard to give yourself even one circle, like one look on those three holes is an impressive feat. And so I think that was really missed during the live. Um, and maybe it was over. I don't know. I just don't think you got the credit that you deserved on how well you played those last four holes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, like I, I could not be more happy with the way I played those holes. Like, oops. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I just, I, I just don't think there's very many situations where I birdie 15 and 16 
in that in the win that we had to yeah. actually put pressure on Kevin and create the situation that I did. So, um, yeah, I mean, those holes are incredibly difficult when there's no wind and when there's a screaming headwind, they're, you know, almost not gettable, it seems like. I mean, I'm I sure one. Oh, go, go. Yeah, finish. I, 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 I assume 16 was probably the toughest playing hole on the course that day, or maybe at least the least birdied, maybe not. The yeah, toughest. toughest was it's 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 tough when you have like people blowing up because you can't really blow up on on 16 that bad because most people yeah. are probably doing the layup play. But yeah, I think 16 was for sure the least birdied. And 15, honestly, might be right next to it as far as like between those two. Yeah. I, I doubt that there was more than like, 14 15 birdies the final round so um yeah. and that's with some people going out a little earlier in the day when the conditions were a little bit better so all right i do have one more question this is more of like a bigger picture question because i feel like the story of calvin was this guy's so good he's a top five player but he can't win mm-hmm. was that something because that was maybe two years ago i remember that kind of happening was yeah. is that was that something that like has motivated you because i don't think that story obviously exists anymore but did you use that as motivation kind of hearing that you're a top five guy but you can't finish you can't you can't close one out um i don't know if i use that as motivation i i kind of feel like i'm always trying to go out there and win i don't I don't know. I, I honestly feel like there's a lot of takes in disc golf media that are just like super off base. And let's hear them. Let's see. Let's, 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 like, let's get, let's get like after I just, it. I, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes it's kind of why I don't really pay attention to most of it anymore. It's just like, I feel like we have people talking about these courses and like, they just, they don't know what the weather is. Like they just sit there, like we'll take 15 and 16, for example, they just look at a whole map and they don't take into account the weather or, you know, kind of like the style of how a person plays, how difficult, you know, that shot might be for their play style. It's just like, I feel like there's so many intricacies to the game and like actually looking at a specific player. And um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times we have people just, We might have lost Calvin there for a second. I think he was about to throw someone under the bus, and I was really interested to see what Dang he was going to say. All right, we'll try to get Calvin in here. Hopefully he can join back in. Um, but that is interesting what he's talking about being, you know, I, I can I can definitely see where he's coming from. And that's a great point of saying how maybe the announcers don't really know that play style and how tough it is for that person to throw that exact shot. I feel like that is so. I mean, you've done commentary when you haven't been on the ground, right? It's hard. Yeah, it is hard. Like but if you you're not to know people's games, and and I feel like I do try to explain how tough it is and in what the conditions are. But luckily, like I've been around and I played so long that I understand that. And I'm like a weirdo, man. I look at people's playing styles. Like, I know what discs they throw pretty much. I know what angles they like to throw on, with the speeds they like to throw on, their run-up, what this, that, and the other thing. Like, I'm a weirdo with that kind of stuff. I'm fascinated by form. Um, so that is but – but it's so true that if, if he's saying they're not getting that across, 
I wonder how much coverage he actually watches. It sounds like he watches a lot if he said that he saw Kevin Jones in the final round and he was like studying what was going on. It's such an interesting thing because I think that's so that's so cool about disc golf is I, I find myself doing that a lot too of where if I'm struggling on a certain hole, I'll, I'll go and watch coverage of like what the leaders did. Like, are they, how are they playing this hole? Cause clearly I'm not doing it right. Like they, they've got to be doing something differently. Uh, it's always a bummer when you see that they're playing exactly the same way as you are and you're just worse than they are. But yeah, no, it, I, I think right now disc golf is again, so, so young that there are just so many different voices that are trying to get into disc golf media and trying to be a voice and trying to have these hot takes and trying to say stuff. And, um, I think Calvin still thinks he's on. <laughs> he, he just, he just texted me. Did I fall off the call? All right. We're going to see if he, he we're going to see if he can rejoin here, but yeah, I think, I think it's just growing pains, right? I think also the issue we have is I let's just say, when you retire, when Sexton retires, when Philo f- retires from actually playing and some of these other people, there are going to be people that have been in the nitty gritty. Because I think disc golf is way different. The landscape is way different right now than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah. So if you haven't played in the last 10 years, it's going to be tough, tough for you to kind of really give it, give a good of, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going down. So, all right, Calvin, you didn't miss much, but you're back. And I'm back. We, we feel like you're about to just drop a bomb on some disc golf media. So if you, if you have other takes that you want to go for, by all means, let it happen. If not, we can go into the, the next topic here. Uh, we can go into the next topic for now. Okay. I have one more question for you, though, Calvin. All right. So Perfect. moving forward, you got the big win, Las Vegas, first tournament of the year. Major championships. Is that where your focus is? Is that the big ones that you want? Or are you just going tournament to tournament trying to do your best? Or is that in the back of your mind? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think major is definitely in the back of my mind. Um, I've definitely put more importance on those, you know, like last year in my mind than I – than I have in the past. Um, you know, I just haven't haven't pulled one off. I haven't, you know, come through and finished one out. Uh, I definitely gave myself plenty of opportunities last year. I was on, I think, three three final round cards at majors. That's really good. Um, yeah, not bad, not bad, you know. But I, I didn't win any of them, so um, that's also not good. But uh, Yeah, but, but like a win like this, this is a – building block obviously and so you're probably feeling pretty pretty good about your chances moving forward and um what, what is your like mental preparation do you try to prepare differently for those tournaments because they're more important like mentally or are you just like okay i'm gonna stay patient once i get there i'm gonna do this or is there certain things that you're doing different i mean brody took a different approach this offseason getting his body into shape do you do things like that or is it just like i think when day it- after day yeah, I think when it comes down to the majors, um, I'm I, I I don't know mentally. I feel more locked in, or at least I did last year. Um, I just felt, you know, way more focused on every little aspect of my game, where I wanted to be, where my misses should be if I were to miss, and um, you know, there like 
you know, at any other normal elite series event, you know, maybe I'll go out and play pickleball or something, you know, three nights a week at a major, you know, I'm a whole lot less inclined to, to do that. And, you know, I'm just way more locked in on the actual tournament itself. And um, that's not to say I'm not focused at the other ones, but I, I think uh, you just want to say whatever you want. I think, I think my, my entire focus, you know, is completely on, on the event at the major, as opposed to uh, a normal elite series, you know, I want to go do something that's fun in the afternoon, blow off some steam and, you know, I'll, I'll go do that. All right, let's jump into the next topic here. The Jomez intro video. Was that one of the best pieces of disc golf content we've seen? What are your guys' thoughts? I thought it came out incredible. I thought it was sick. I don't, I don't know if they're going to do that for multiple tournaments this year or if that was just like we're doing it at the beginning. Yuli might have a little insight with us on that, but, I mean, that was – that was a sick intro. It got me hyped. I was there, and I kind of could see what they're doing, and I was still hyped to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was pretty sweet. Um, I also got to participate in the in the filming of it, so that was cool. But uh, I, I think I don't know. Based on the past, I feel like Jomez always does some cool things like that at the beginning of the year, uh, maybe for the first event. I. I don't think they're probably going to carry those through, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Vegas also is, you know, a pretty obvious theme to go with. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if every venue we play at does, but. Are you for majors, a, Yuli? A little yeah, major hype video? For that. I, I think sometimes we do a little hype piece for final rounds and stuff by, you know, getting germ in my opinion about something. And then they put a nice little video of like uh, maybe the past three rounds. You know what I mean? Like a little hype pieces like that. I'm, I'm sure we'll do more of those. But in Vegas, we always have some sort. Usually they're goofy. You know, this time it was a little more serious and, and well thought out. And shout out to the producers who produced it. That was that was good stuff. And the but editors, think, too. That was yeah, well edited. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that uh, moving forward we're going to have like one every every. Okay. Chart. Even though I, I could, cool. I can only dream. I can only yeah. dream. I just feel... That to me is like the stuff that I feel could help push pro live disc golf post produce whatever it is can help push it because that is such a shareable piece of content outside of obviously the ridiculous highlights and putts and throws and all that stuff. Yeah. But like leading into a tournament to me like that, that's what I would love to see kind of buzzing around on social media is the, those types of pieces, whether it's the entire field or if it's a sp- uh, particular one person. Um, I, I love seeing more of that stuff. They did say that Calvin was the sure thing in there. Uh, oh, yeah, you were the sure thing. Was I the sure thing or like the safe bet? Well, I don't remember. I think they're I think, the same. I one think you the were same. The- Sure thing or the safe bet yeah. either one they they nailed that for sure all right let's go through uh we might have some intel here with yuli on big germ he did come out and say he's doing better now he had a dnf because of his ankle is he good to go for waco i know he loves that tournament so i would hate to see him not be able to play there i don't know man i think he's good uh he has these weird flare-ups sometimes in his knees and his ankles, and, like, he'll all of a sudden have, like, a swollen ankle. He'll just wake up, and it'll be swollen. And I, and I can attest, like, I looked at his 
ankle and it was pretty bad so but then a couple days later it was it was kind of it wasn't fine but the swelling had gone down and he's like yeah it's just sometimes this is how it works which is pretty bizarre to me but um yeah he should be good to go honestly he just has a flare up sometimes so we have the walking and rolled his ankle and snapped his ankle or something it was just like some random yeah, so on the on the flip side, we have the Gavin Babcock. We actually saw – this was wild. We were on hole six at the time. People were teeing off on hole seven, and this golf cart is just zipping down hole seven's fairway. And, we're, like, the people on the tee are like, hey, hey, like, stop. Like, because they're, like, middle throwing the tee shots, and this golf cart's about to just zip right in front of them. Well, it turns out Gavin was in the front seat, and I was like, what the heck just happened? So I guess the story is one of his discs got caught up in a tree, and he went up yeah. to retrieve it, and as he was coming down, he landed funky on his ankle. Uh, yeah. I think we have some pictures here that Silas can pull up of uh, Gavin posted here on his social media, so you can kind of see the, uh, the swelling that he had. Do we have any updates on where he's at i haven't talked to him so i don't know well, i'm in arizona and he's staying at the same house as, as i am and oh yuli's got all the updates his ankle's looking better i don't think it's good by any stretch of imagination i don't think he's playing this week but it is looking better he could maybe play he's walking around and he has a big old uh ankle brace on there and stuff dang Okay, so it's one of those so, scary sprains that's like initially so, it's like yeah. this feels awful, but then it gets better as it goes. All right, so hopefully those guys are good, both good to go. Uh, I gotta tell you guys this: Do you guys know the story about the how the cut, like what happened there, the craziness at the end? Calvin, you probably weren't even paying attention because you're like twenty shots higher than it. But Yuli, did you hear about this or no? No. Okay. So we are. I'm playing with. I'm playing with Gannon and. Um, wow, I'm blanking on the other person. I'm playing with Gannon and someone else that are kind of near the cut line the entire tournament, uh, entire final uh, round three. I thought going into round three, I was like the cut line's probably ten under. Is what I'm thinking. If you shoot ten under, you're probably safe. Well, we get to hole seventeen. And the cut is at 11 under, which I was like, all right. I mean, I thought 10, but 11, whatever. We get up to the basket on hole 17, and you can look across and kind of see hole 18. And we've been obviously looking at the leaders, and because I'm trying to help Gannon, because he's like right there. I'm trying to help kind of do the math of like who's below the cut line and like can the cut move and all this stuff. And I'm telling him, I'm like, if you shoot 11, you're fine, dude. You're in. And at this time, I see Cole Redalian. Redalian. How do you say his last name? Redalian. I see him at eleven under at this point. He's lining up a putt short left of the basket, straight headwind from like forty feet, and I'm like, does he not realize? Like he's putting for birdie. I'm like, does he not realize that he can just lay up, tap in, and he's in, made the cut? I'm like. We know, like, if you airball that putt, and we've seen people do it, if you airball or you chain out, like, you can get a roll away, and all of a sudden, like, now you have a putt for 30 feet to make the cut. I'm like, just lay up. Does he not know where he's at? Juices it. 
cashes it, just like major fist bump, like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Turns out after the round, I bump into him and I'm like, Cole, I'm like, bro, did you not know that you were like safe? You could just lay up and you're fine. He's like, no, dude. He's like, Bradley was 11 under and was 10 feet closer than me and had a birdie putt. If I miss and Brad makes it, the cut goes to 12 and I miss the cut because I'm at 11. So what ended up happening is Cole makes the putt to go to 12. Brad makes the putt to go to 12. And these seven or eight guys that were all in the clubhouse at 11 thinking, oh, we're good. The cut just jumps from 11 to 12. And I'm just like, oof, gosh. Wild, wild yeah. stuff for the bottom guys. Uh, but, you know, when you're bottom feeders like myself, like that's what we live for. We love, we love seeing that stuff. It's incredible. Because now you're not having to fight for, you know, you're not having to go into the final round being like, I might not cash. One of my favorite things to say is there's no pressure like last cash pressure. And there yes. is. And this is my theory on it is because for me, like personally, having to battle for last cash, my expectations are a lot higher. And so if I'm battling for last cash, I'm obviously playing bad. But then you're battling with the other guys who are probably playing pretty good, you know, because they're made. And so now you're in this like spot where you're playing against some guy who's like fist pumping 30 footers. And you're like, wait, this guy's actually trying to beat me right now. And then your game's in shambles, obviously. So you're making the silliest mistakes ever. And you're trying to beat somebody who's actually playing really good for them. And you're playing really bad. Dude, it's a mental nightmare for last cash. I'm telling it you. Brings me, it brings me back to my cross-country high school days where I'm running my heart out, right? Like I'm like <laughs> running at a nine-minute pace just to try to, you know, do like 27 minutes or something in a 5K. And I'm just like, and I'm just running, right? And, I, and all of a sudden, this guy just sprints by me. And I'm like, what? And I'm just running. And then like within 30 seconds, the guy's walking. So now I pass him and I'm running. And then all of a sudden, 30 <laughs> seconds later, he sprints by me and I'm like battling this guy that is just sprinting and walking. And I'm like, I'm not fast enough to just like, I'm all the way in the back where this sprinter walker that has no idea how to run cross country. And I'm battling this guy for my life. And it's just like, it is the worst feeling. If anyone has ever dealt with that, it is the worst feeling in the absolute world. And there's nothing you can do. You can't run faster. Oh, no, you keep blow your there. heart out. No, that's all I was going to say. No, so just imagine this. Like, you're <laughs> like, imagine Calvin battling for last cash. Obviously, he's not. When was him. that, Calvin? He's when was that last time? Do you remember? Right. Has that happened recently? Like, within the last couple of years? Um. Let's see. Last year, I don't think I. I think I didn't cash at Beaver State. I don't know even how close I was to the cash line there. I might not have even been close. <laughs> I know I was just playing bad, and then I like tweaked my back, and then I just didn't want to be out there because it was just like the weather was terrible too. Yeah, I was like, so, man, I don't, I don't feel great. It's wet out. I'm probably not going to cash. <laughs> <laughs> Great so situation. like having a putt, you so your game's in shambles. You haven't made anything <laughs> the whole tournament. Obviously, that's why you're in this position at last cash. And then you have a 30-footer 
to make cash. Are you making it? You have no idea because <laughs> it's a shambles. You get what I mean? Like, there's no kind of pressure like that because you're like, probably not making this. Like, <laughs> haven't made one the whole tournament. Anyways, it's hilarious to me. I love I love having like cuts too. I don't. It's gonna be interesting to see because I think the PJ Tour is actually going away for from cuts at their designated events. Because obviously, as a product, it, you know, if you have, you know, some of your t- disc golf doesn't have that issue. We don't really have that many tournaments where our top players aren't making cuts. But that is a normal thing at golf events. And it's like if you have your number one player number two or whatever and there's like not in the event on saturday and Sunday. that's kind of wild so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that moves forward because i actually like cuts but at the same time i kind of can see how like you know if calvin and paul and ricky all of a sudden miss the cut does the weekend kind of feel a little less yeah right a little bit so we'll see well, how that goes like moving if, forward if you could watch tiger every round i don't care what card he's on i'm gonna go find tiger yeah and if it, he's is, getting cut, it is true yeah definitely less for the weekend all right i want your guys's initial reaction when you saw this clip silas pull it up for us so we can watch it welcome back. we got ab here Spirella, on the hole 13 tailwind Nine holes out here. Smacks the crap out of this. Outward nine. Oh, 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 no. Get no. out of here. No, dude. no. Say it ain't no. All right. So, no, what? No, no. So, just no. for people, while I'm sure most people, you know, if you're listening, what just happened basically, AB threw a drive. There was a Jomez camera catch cam person and a rangefinder person right next to one another about 510, 515 feet down the fairway, right next to a bunker. The disc ends up hitting the rangefinder person's ankle or foot, and it was going to be 100% safe, and it skips now, bounces in the hazard. What are your guys' thoughts? First thing is, I was 50 feet away from him, so I'm pin high with bunker guy, and I'm with AB's parents. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And my first reaction, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think it was 100% going to be safe. I really don't. Because as it was coming, it was dropping, and it could have maybe hit the lip of the bunker. I'm just going to say that right away. From my view, and hey, I... It hit the guy's foot that's on the left side of the bunker. Yeah, but if but that's a bad angle. I'm telling you, it was, was, going, it? To have, it was going to have to go over the corner of the bunker. A billion All right. percent. All right. And so... My first reaction was I was thinking to myself when it was coming. I didn't think it was going to hit that guy. I was thinking, get over the bunker. Right? Like, I'm like, stay up, stay up, stay up. Because he's that's my boy, you know? No offense, yeah. Calvin, but I was rooting for AB out there. <laughs> and uh, then I see it hit the guy, and it just barely falls into the thing. And I'm sitting there hugging Trina like, oh, no, <laughs> so bad. And then I go, that guy's going to have the worst week of his life, man. That's a bummer. Because he's just out there doing a rangefinder, man. He's yeah, it's not, it's, it's not it's his, not fault. his fault. It's not his fault. He was told fault. to be there. He was told to be there. Exactly. No, right. it's, it is someone's fault. It is someone's fault. Someone told him to be there. 
Well, the camera guy's right there, too, and it's AB's fault for throwing it 580 feet. No, no, stop that. <laughs> stop I'm that. Kidding. But, you know, like the camera guy's going to have to turn around. So they're not expecting him to throw it that far. That's why they're in that position in the first place. Like, that's a far shot to clear that bunker, first of all. Most of the time, everybody's hysering off to the left, so that tailwind must have been pretty crazy. So the initial thoughts were, it was the most unlucky thing I've ever seen in my life. Then I felt bad for the guy who got hit because I know how disc golfers are. And so I felt well, bad. Sport for... fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, sports You were the Cubs guy? The Cubs guy that, like, leaned out and caught the foul, like, messed up the foul ball catch in the World yeah. Series or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, people are ruthless. Ruthless. Um, so those were my first thoughts. Calvin, what do you? What, what were you thinking? You were there. Yeah, I don't know if you could you. Is, I could you? The background. No, I'm just what was he fist bumping? Was Calvin fist bumping in the background? Honestly, uh, no, I wasn't. But uh, I, I didn't actually see it happen. My back was uh, to the box when it happened. I heard that's a crazy violation. I turned around. I was like, I was pretty confused as to what was going on. Uh, people were saying that some dude got hit down there. At first, like, I didn't even know that that meant that AB's disc was in a bunker. Um, so I was just pretty confused as to what was going on up there. I was like, why is everyone so upset? Could AB see? Do you know if AB knew it went in the bunker? Like, when he was walking up there, was could you tell he knew it was in the bunker? Or did, did he kind of yeah. discover that when he walked up? I think I think he knew. I, he seemed pretty upset on the end of the tee box. Um like, I think he was in a lot of disbelief as to uh, what had just happened. Like, I think he kind of stood there for a little longer than he normally would have. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't – I guess my first reaction I, was really – like, I wasn't fully understanding what was happening until I really saw the disc in the bunker and put it all together. Um, definitely an unfortunate situation. And um, – I don't know who threw first. Do you guys remember if Eagle or Anthony threw first on that hole? No, I think I think A B Anthony. I think A B threw first. Okay. Yeah. So then oh, Eagle just Kevin. tried to hmm? I think Kevin was last on the box there. Oh, okay. Eagle Eagle just threw there. over their heads. So yeah, they, then. yeah. Cause okay. yeah, yeah. It was A B then Eagle, I believe, is what happened. Gotcha. Um okay, so that poses the question now. What are your guys' opinions on having I'm even gonna say cameramen in the way of play? And and I guess other, you know, volunteers, whether it's Bushnell, whether it's whatever, rangefinder people, uh disc golf, pro tour, staff, whatever, marshals, whatever you have it. What are your guys' thoughts on having those people in fairways, down, down, uh, down fairway? Um, I guess as far as the sport goes, I guess it, it's not ideal from a player's perspective, but I also think like we need those people there in our current state. Like that's like the only reason like a lot of us are, are making money is because they're sitting there and posting media. And that's one of the ways that we, we gain fans. And that's the way the fans get to see our competition. Um, we're not at a point yet where we can have like stationary cameras on towers outside of you know, tournament play um, to capture all the action. So I think they're, you know, as far as cameramen go at this point, um, I mean, they're they're really there for 
for the viewers. And, you know, that's kind of what makes this whole, the whole gig that we have as, as professionals work. You know, if we don't have all these fans and other viewers, you know, we're not out there doing this. Shout out to the cameraman that you don't see a lot of them get hit. Honestly, they're pretty good about getting out of the way. If I'm going to be honest, I, I would yeah. think because of where they are, they have a tough job, man. They got to follow that, that thing through a lens and then scary. that's a scary, that's a scary terrifying to be in for sure. And so the fact that they're as good as they are and getting out of the way is, is, is pretty good. And like Calvin said, it's a necessary, um, kind of a bummer deal like it just is what it is but you're never gonna get around away from that really you're always if you throw a shot that that was a weird case because it was a good shot you never see a good shot kind of get crunched by by a lot of people right now because i feel like one of the things we see a lot of is maybe throwing it into the fans and it's coming back inbounds and then it hits a spectator so this is a rare case where, you know, an actual person who who's kind of supposed to be there gets hit and it's just really unlucky. So two things on that. First pushback, I guess, to both of you guys is, Yuli, how bad was your angle of their tee shot on that hole? How bad was it? Yeah, like were you not able to see them throw from where you were standing when they were throwing? No, I mean, I could see them, but not – that good i guess i'm just I like once but right. but once the disc once the disc was out of the tree line could you could you kind of follow it the whole way though yeah because that would be my only argument is like i don't think I, I i by no means am saying we need to get rid of the camera guys we need to have obviously people filming but are there maybe places that are, would be better suited to not be in the way as much right because like where you are i don't think they're in the way a lot honestly i really don't i think they're pretty good about staying out of the way and i think this was a rare case where the wind completely flips he's normally mm-hmm. right there we're hysering to the left side of that bunker mm-hmm. i mean that's a super rare case to where all the you know the conditions kind of favored these guys to almost go at the green the the thing's like 700 feet. Yeah. And if he clears that shit. thing, he's circled too, you know? I guess the only other time it pops up that I've seen it is around the putting greens where you'll sometimes have the cameras be almost directly in line with the basket. And we have seen where people will airball or it'll skip off the, the top yeah. of the basket. And then it like hits the tripod or the person whatever and you know it was going to be an extra 10 or 15 feet away or maybe roll out of bounds and it kind of gets held in there i don't i i don't think it's as crazy right now because you know i agree with you it doesn't happen all that often but my only concern is as disc golf grows there's going to be more camera people right essentially there's gonna be more people and if it's not something that is thought about or taken into consideration now, could it lead to becoming a more serious issue down the road for players? That would be my only concern of, you know, just because it rarely happens now. Um, I don't think it's going to get worse, honestly. I think if anything, it'll get better. And, and like I said, I don't think it's a huge problem. Like this was a rare case to where like they <laughs> – they hit him going straight out of bunker and 
It was a terrible situation. Yeah, the the, the, the way it turned, the circumstance of how it turned out was wild. Yeah. The fact that it hit and went into the bunker, but. Um, yeah, definitely unfortunate. Um, I do think, yeah, as you were saying, it's a pretty freak situation. Like you, you basically have one of the farthest throwers on the planet throwing in a, a tailwind, like over a bunker that no one else is really ever throwing over. Um, so, I mean, I, I really, yeah, ninety-nine percent of the time they're not in the way. Probably even less than that, but. Um, it just that if one it, day. If it happens again, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet at you guys. If it happens again, every time it happens this year, I'm gonna tweet at you and be like, it happened again. It happened again. We'll see. We'll see. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. Hopefully not. Especially for like the rangefinder guy, I would be like, bro, just like do what they do like in football when you the guy that like grabs the tee after the kickoff, you know, just stand OB and as soon as all the drives are done, like run out, range find, range find, and then run back <laughs> and, and and get out of the way. Um, all right, we got another video. Catch him range finding though. Jeez. What's that? I said, don't let Calvin catch him range finding though. Jeez, bro. <laughs> uh, we got another video here. Pull this one up. Actually, same hole, surprisingly. Uh, I don't know if you saw this one. Same hole, cat, second shot on this hole. Now, she definitely did yank it to the right, way further right than she wanted to. <sighs> But we've got like we've got just carts that are just chilling. So this is a little bit of a different scenario. We now have like golf carts, which my first question would be why? Like what? Like who's who's in the golf cart? Like who has a golf cart? Like a PDGA official that's like zipping around the course, or like what is the owner of the golf course? uh like what who 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 has the rights to the keys of these golf carts i guess would be my first question and then why are we parking it right next to the green yeah yeah that's a that's a tough one um i i that one's that's so bad there was two carts there there were two carts (laughs) there were two carts not even the one that just got hit she almost hit the other one first but um yeah, I'm not sure what those carts were doing. I don't know if they were, you know, carts out there zipping stuff out for camera guys. Um, I know, I know what they were for. I mean, like it could be camera guys because I know they're. I don't know. I don't know if they switched they were, stuff. They out were. For. They were zipping the camera guys. They were getting the camera guy into the car to get him positioned on the next. Hole. I like that. I like that a lot. That's fine. So I'm fine with a cart being there. I. Spot location is probably that those. I mean, the one before that was even probably worse. Um, that she ended up barely missing. I mean, I don't know. That's brutal. That that cart should never be there. Never be anywhere close to there. Never been parked there ever. That's terrible. Like that just was, move. Like just was, move up a hundred feet, right? Yeah, like just move up a hundred feet. You can still see. And if she hits you, if she hits your cart a hundred feet up, guess what? You were still going to be out of bounds. So luckily yeah. that didn't affect the tournament at all. Um, I oh, did hear destroy everybody. Yeah, she. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I did hear though, and maybe Kevin, you can, you can, or I guess you, you can talk on this too since you're walking there. I did hear from some people that they thought that AB once that bad break happened to him, he kind of like the rest of his round was really rocky. Like it kind of maybe affected him a little bit. Thoughts on that? Did you see that or? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, 
I don't think he played great after that moment. Um, I get. I guess I honestly I, at that point I wasn't like super in tune with where all the scores were. I was still pretty focused on trying to get myself back in it. I feel like he was definitely closer to Kevin than I was. At that point. Lead, I think. I think I so. Think, I think it was mm-hmm. tied for the lead at that point. Yeah. So I mean, mentally, that's probably a pretty pretty big hit. I, I will say that like. Yeah, because I think even on the next hole, I think he threw a pretty bad tee. I think his tee shot got lucky, I think, even on the next hole. I feel like he kind of pulled it into the OB and it might have popped Oh, yes. It should have been um, OB, yeah. But, yeah, he definitely didn't didn't play, you know, to the same level he had been for the rest of that weekend, you know, after that moment. You know, he was obviously playing good enough to be right there in it, and uh, he definitely tailed off there. I I feel like he was – he started throwing shots that – were pretty errant. Um, he was throwing a lot of things that were just kind of like turning over and not ending up in very good places. So I, I don't know if that's because of his frustrations, you know, but um, didn't help. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it would help. You know, when you're super locked in, your one goal is you know winning, and you're right there. You're less than nine holes away, and um, something that's out of your control kind of could affect that end result, um, I can imagine that'd be pretty frustrating and tough to shake. I don't know what I would have done if I threw the shot and it hit the cart. Like, I don't, I don't know how I would have reacted in that situation. That would have been, that one to me seems so much worse than the other one, but. Yeah, the the cart, the cart is, is super tough because it's like an, an object that once a disc is coming at it, it's not going to move fast <laughs> enough to get out of the way. It's not mobile enough. And they had two huge objects basically sitting on the OB line where, you know, some people do come into that green on Heiser. So, um, yeah, the cart, I, I would say, is probably something that could be looked at more and, and fixed Um the, the situation with the, the hit volunteer, you know, that was just unfortunate. And honestly, I don't really see that happening very often. And um, if it does, I will tweet you, obviously. I will, okay. I will, I, I will let you know. I will be waiting for the tweets. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk Disc Golf Pro Tour championship updates. Did you guys see that they are completely overhauling how the tour championship is going to be going down this year? I I heard about it. Um, I haven't gone and read the document yet. I kind of know there's people that are going to go into. We all go into the same round, but you can go in with like stroke advantages. But um, yeah, so the cliff notes essentially no more buys, which I think great for two reasons. One, I think as a spectator, it makes every day way more exciting because, like we t- kind of talked about before, it kind you know having an event where your best players aren't really playing until later makes it seem like who's going to show up for the first few days, right? Because the top players aren't playing. So I love having everyone play. And then I also think too, I've never had a buy, so I don't know how, but Calvin, maybe you can talk about it. Not being able to like have, you know, those initial tournament rounds, I think maybe can be a little bit of a disadvantage for some, of where they it's the best okay, thing you ever. you you can talk about it well yeah it's great for the money situation awesome. where you're just like automatically in but i have heard from some people saying how not being able to play 
and then kind of jumping in when everyone else has had a couple rounds. I've heard some people claim that that wasn't uh, super fair. That's I don't know if I'm buying that. After their buy. <laughs> yeah. That honestly could be the case. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I know, like, for me, like, I've had multiple times where I've basically had a buy to the semifinals. And for me, that means all I have to do is play one good round and I'm in the finals. So, like... Rather than having to play, you know, good three times or something to get to the finals, so I would certainly rather have the buys than not. Um, it is kind of weird, you know, not participating in an event, you know, in the first rounds, like you're just kind of spectating until it's your mm -hmm. turn to play. It is definitely a different uh, experience, but you know, we're able to get out on the course after after play and still practice and get out there and get in the reps that we need, even in that the old format. So I think. Um, at least me personally, I, I will always take the buy. Take the buy. I would rather not have to play good three different rounds to make it to the finals. If I only had to do that once, that's great. All right. So for MPO, the top 32 in points will qualify. Number one in points will start the first two rounds at six under. Number two will be five under. Three and four will be four under. Five through eight will be three under. 9 through 16 will be 2 under, 17, 17 through 24 will be 1 under, and 25 through 32 will be even par. And then we move on to the cut. So after those rounds with those initial scores, the top 12 will move on to the finals. Um, if there are any ties, those will be broken by seed. And then I thought this was very interesting. They are going to completely reset scores. So if you barely make it in, you will be tied with everyone else going into the finals, which will be another two rounds. And um, normal playoff rules apply if there is any, any uh, ties towards the end. So what are your guys' thoughts on that with – with obviously changing it to where there is an advantage for those not with buys but with actually strokes and then what are your thoughts on kind of halfway through the event just being like all right if you make top 12 everyone's starting even for the last two rounds yuli hates it i think it's silly i think if you have a stroke system to where you start and around at six under par you should be able to take your advantage since you're the number one player all the way to the end, you've earned it for the whole entire season. To have them Reese, at any point when somebody says you have to have a competition and then at one point, guess what? It all goes to scratch and now you guys are just going at it. I think whoever made that decision, they really need to think. They root for the underdog is what it sounds like. They're, 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 they're the underdog they guy. For, but that's not how sports work. You earn your, you earn your under pars. Otherwise, just have a regular tournament. I don't know how we're trying to just keep reinventing the wheel here with all this, with all this. All right, now now 32nd to 24th, you're one under, but then now now that you're four under, now everybody's at even. It's like, what? How does that, that doesn't make any zero sense to me. Like, I get what they're trying to do, but then why have six under four under three under two under one under in the very beginning yeah i mean i like i like that 
mainly because I think the old format was very hard for viewers to know what was going on. Cause you'd like go to one person and they'd be like three under, and then you go to someone else and they'd be six. And it's like, Oh, well the six under person's probably not going to qualify cause they're in this group. And then this three under person is going to qualify cause they're in this group. So like consolidating it to where everyone is playing under a stroke play thing makes sense. But Calvin, do you like, do you like this new format? What, what are your initial thoughts on it? Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I can't say I love it. I, I do think, you know, it, the people that are the top seeds, like, obviously have a huge advantage and, like, they're showing they're going to give you that huge advantage to push you through. Um, I honestly, it almost feels like it's a way, you know, to kind of, like, for the people that were saying that they didn't like buys – uh, it feels like a way to appease them and make them play every round. Like, it's like, you're going to play every round. We'll give you an advantage and then still have the same ending as before where, you know, everyone's playing heads up essentially. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it does feel weird. I guess I've never really seen a disc golf style event played that way. So that's why it feels weird. Um, I don't know if they've done that in golf or not before. I, I, I'm assuming they grew it from somewhere. Um, yeah, I mean that it's they took a little bit from the tour championship in golf, but golf doesn't reset. So <laughs> no one does. <laughs> that's the only that's that's the big difference here. Um, and I guess that would be the wild thing is like if someone you know if the one, number one or number two guy that starts at six or five under right if they just play out of their mind and they get to twenty under par after round two and somebody squeaks in at six under. And yeah, then I feel weird that that resets. For they, sure. Now they're on the same playing field for what so thirty-five, so forty thousand dollars. Yeah, in essence, it's like kind of drawing off the format that got vetoed for Champions Cup, because um, yes. that's what they're kind of trying to do at Champions Cup. Before it was going to be like four round stroke play, top four go to a match play. Bracket. Nothing matters after that match yeah. play, baby. No, and then yeah. it was stroke play after that, and nobody. And yeah, no, I remember being something weird. Oh no, I, guess, I think yeah, I think it was yeah, it was something it was something funky. It was definitely something along the lines of where like there was something happening, and then all of a sudden, okay, all that doesn't matter anymore. Everyone is starting fresh. Um, I would uh, love to see a match. It being just match play. Why not that? Why not you get a number one seed and then maybe bracket? You get, yeah, Heck bracket. Yeah. And then you get the give Calvin the, the buys. Seed. Calvin gets the buys again. Yes. One seeds get the buys. Yep. Okay. I think match play is a really easy way to get what everybody wants, except for they're not going to be playing. But match play is so fun to watch and easy to follow on the screen compared to yes. other things. I, Calvin, I would you rather have a buy if you're the one seed in this in this hypothetical match play bracket that we've just talked about? Would you rather have a buy straight into the second round or play the 64th seeded player? <laughs> I'll take a buy. <laughs> Send me to the next round. I'll you go don't, don't want to lose to Alcorn, Acorn State or whatever. What do I have really to win beating the 64th seed? <laughs> Nothing. You have everything to lose. Everything though. to lose. I don't want to be enough to lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Yuli, do you give have something to talk about real quick? Because I got to pull up this next thing real fast. I'm not prepared, so 
Did you play in the match play tournament last year, Calvin? I did not. It was right after um, Beaver State where I tweaked my back, so I took the week off. Oh, wow. I was scheduled to play, and then I was just like, I'm not feeling right. There's no way I'm going to 8,000 feet and throwing as hard as I can. So um, I feel like a match play tournament would be very successful on our tour. I really yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, I played it. I played the match play event in Pennsylvania two years ago, and I mean, I played well in it. It seemed like it was pretty fun. It was definitely different. Uh, it was like the first time I'd gotten to play that kind of yeah. a, a format. Um, but yeah, I feel I feel like it is a it, it rewards a slightly different style of play, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and it, it was exciting and fun to play just because it was different. And then we were yeah. talking about oh. this last week. What about uh, we feel? I think yeah. Have you you've won a mixed doubles world title? Yeah. Yep, I won yeah. last year. Last year, you're the champion. How yeah. well, don't you think that that should get a little bit more recognition? Like actually, be a real tournament. Separate. It needs to separate, be separate. Yeah, separate. Mm-hmm. Like a completely different week, but you know, we all team up with whoever and we go for a, a mixed doubles world title wouldn't that be awesome or just a title in general it could be on the pro tour who could who, who knows yeah i mean i think it's a, a pretty pretty cool format um doubles can introduce all kinds of different things whether you know it's it's best shot worst shot alternate shot and you can definitely uh have some pretty fun interesting golf and different strategy going on um i really enjoyed playing uh the mixed doubles at worlds i think it would be pretty cool if we did have like an actual event that was dedicated to that you know whether it's mixed doubles or even just like you know not mixed doubles like we just play doubles with you know whomever else but um either way i think format format tournament would be cool it's such a it's such a disc golf thing too like doubles is such a common thing throughout all of disc golf right like yeah Within, I don't, I want to say like within a few rounds, like my first initial rounds, like people are like, all right, we're going to play doubles. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, we're playing doubles. Like that's just, <laughs> that's like not really a thing in other sports I've played, but it's such a, it's such a disc golf thing that I feel like we are missing out on not utilizing that as an actual format in some capacity outside of, you know, the all-star event and stuff. Um, and it would be cool too, I think, for fans to see who teams up with who, right? Like if we get to pick our partners, I think that would be kind of a cool thing too to see. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know those two people talked. Yeah. And like their partner, like I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, with the tour championship announcement updates, they also came up with a new award, which. I'm going to go ahead and say I think Simon created, like, forced the Pro Tour's hand at making this award because it didn't feel like Simon was the most improved player last year because, like, everyone knows he's, like, really good at disc golf. So, comeback player of the year, new award. I love this award. I love this award. Um so that will be coming to players that have returned from injury, um, had like a really big year after otherwise not doing so well, or maybe someone that has taken some time away from the game and has come back uh, to dominate. So I'm a huge fan of that. 
They're going to have the player of the year again, the rookie of the year. Uh, then they'll have first card all-stars, second and third card all-stars. They'll still have the most improved. And the rookie of the year will also not be eligible for most improved, which obviously makes sense. Uh, with the voting, the voting, it looks like the player of the year. I don't really actually know how the voting works. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on these end of the year awards? Do you value them at all? Like, do you, like if you if you won Player of the Year, like are you like how, are you like hanging that trophy up in your your mantle and, and super proud of it, or like where are these awards right now in di- in, the, in the disc golf scope of things? Unfortunately, I feel like awards in disc golf in general right now are pretty broken. Uh, I've seen some, I've seen some, and I won't say which one they are, but I mean, you can, I've seen some player of the year award being awarded to people who definitely were not player of the year at all. I think that's been kind of common the past few years. Are you talking about the player of the year award awarded by the PDGA? Both. Okay. Yeah. This pro tour one's kind of funky too. Sometimes. yeah. Yeah. I haven't paid too much attention to those, but um, the PGA one's really bad. Really? I know the PGA one isn't always great because it brings in so many other factors because they, they kind of count anything that's sanctioned as going into a lot of their point things. And, like, in the end, I know, like, lower tier events, at least in my mind, like, they should have no impact on on how that award goes. But, like, I sit there and I go, if I go play a bunch of B and C tiers, win them all, I'm going to up my win percentage and number of wins and I'm going to you know, get more of those bonus points that go into that award. And I know they did like a little bit of updating to that a few years ago, I want to say the PDJ did, but I mean, I, I, I want to say like even last year, I, I saw that it still didn't make sense who won, but um, cause I, I want to say like, didn't, didn't Paige win player of the year on the FPO side last year? Paige, Paige beat out Kristen last year, which was wrong. And then the year before that cat beat out Paige, which was, wrong as well on the pdj yeah. side um, yeah i mean i in the end i guess we know what their scoring criteria is beforehand but yeah it's not necessarily that, wrong but yeah like those people earned it based on the criteria but it doesn't feel right based on how they performed you know against each other at the biggest events throughout the year who won but like what for mpo last year ricky NBA. ricky Ricky, okay. I believe so. Yeah, um, but okay. So obviously they do need a. I, I, they obviously need to, and I don't know exactly what the disc golf pro tour one is. It is kind of wild to me to think that the person that doesn't win doesn't have like the most points at the end of the year. How is that person not the player of the year? Since like you're pushing the tour championship in points, it seems like that yeah. would just go straight to the player of the year, but. Uh, I think they are adding in media votes as well. I don't know if fan, I think fan votes might be going to like rookie of the year. And, you know, maybe some of the people listening to this can kind of fact check us on all that. But it still feels like with, if they were able to give the award out, I mean, how do you make that like more, I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to equate it to like other sports. What's that? A lot of time is what it is it's going to take a lot of time 
generational like people winning these things and kids growing up being like oh i want that and it's going to take it's going to take the players to care about it and we don't care about it because it hasn't been around a long time like honestly i'd rather win something from the pga right now than i would the elite series as far as an award goes there's more meaning behind it because of the people who've won it before in my, in my opinion yeah i mean it's, i'm just trying to equate it to like other sports as well and it's like you know you look at like the mvp in basketball or the mvp in the nfl and the heisman in college football there's just like these awards that are so coveted and matter so much does that exist is that ever going to exist in disc golf when you have like the world championship being the end-all be-all does the player and and even the tour championship at this point right because you could theoretically i think i think the award will go out before the tour championship ends i believe so you could theoretically have someone win the tour championship and not be the player of the year yeah i don't know how you fix that i don't know if you need to fix it well are there like are there really awards like that in any other individual sports like do they really do that in golf do they do that in tennis I can't golf. I can't think of it. Tennis, same thing. Played, I can't really they think have of player it. Player of the year and rookie of the year in golf. They have For player kids. of the year in golf. Yes. It's okay, well. It's definitely not something that's talked about. I guess. And so maybe that's it. Maybe it's just. Year, what was it, Con- Connor? Corey Connors. I, I can't. And then I the, couldn't. the player of the year was Scotty Scheffler, I believe. Can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think. As far as individual sports go, like, I think really, you know, the awards everyone's chasing are just like the wins, you know, like the accolades you're chasing is the actual title of the events. Um, So I I, I don't know. I mean, you can't tell me that winning player of the year wouldn't mean a lot to you. I mean, it, it would be cool. For sure, right? Like having that one to be able to put on your mantle, player. Yeah, Calvin's reaction whatever. right there is the perfect thing. He just said it would be cool. I think if he, if you asked him, like, would I rather your, win? What would your feeling of winning the world title? There's no way it'd be like it would be cool. Like, yeah, right? yeah, like you can tell that to LeBron too on the MVP. Would you rather have an MVP or a world championship? It's going to be the same answer. There's still merit. Yeah, but putting. the MVP still matters though. That that's like a. The fact that we didn't even know who won Player of the Year last year lets you know. Well, it's because, like I said, it's broken right now. I feel like the system is broken. Yeah, and I guess it's hard to want to strive to really push for something that yeah. you, you don't quite understand or like you don't feel like really awards Player of the Year to the right player. Sure. Absolutely. But I guess it's also kind of weird that we have the Pro Tour award. Are, like, are they different awards? Is the Pro Tour Player yes. of the Year different than – yeah, that's that's kind of weird too. Like, you can't have two player of the years. Like, <laughs> like that doesn't exactly. Like, no, what happens when those are different people? Were, were those different people on either of those last I year? I think in some years it has been. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. I think we gotta we gotta pick one and go with it, and then throw <laughs> the other one to the can. So um, yeah, agreed. I don't mind having like seven different world rankings, though. I think that's fun. I love rankings. Yeah, I mean the more that's rankings, fine. Everyone, the better. Everyone's going to have a slightly different way of, you know, formulating their algorithm for what what means more than other things, and I think we can we can already see that. Like, 
everyone kind of has a slightly different algorithm, whether it's the PDJ or whether it's UDISC or whoever else does it. But do you know uh, what your world ranking is right now, Kevin, after Vegas for UDISC? UDISC? I don't. I know, I know take, the league says three right now, but you did. You get any guesses? Um, I would say I'm definitely behind Paul and Rick. And then I feel like I would be close between like me and Gannon, maybe. So you passed Gannon. Gannon dropped a spot and you went up a spot. However, with the UDIS rankings, the way they have it set up right now is like if you don't play, like that's kind of more beneficial than playing bad and playing. So Eagle is still ahead of you at three. Okay, well, that's lame, but um, <laughs> I guess he won European Open last year. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, he but... played like two events last year and won one of them. So like he, he get, kind of gets yeah. launched up there, but... um uh there you have it uh all right a funny story about the european open did you guys know it's a qualifier now you have to qualify to get into the european open you can't just sign up didn't i i did know that because i got an email telling me to sign up oh must be nice calvin guess how (laughs) i figured that out i got an email too that says hey we refunded your money because you're not in the tournament (laughs) and so i signed up and yeah i'm yeah, I thought, I thought I could just sign up. Did not know you have to qualify. Where so, do you qualify? There's like events now. Just like USDGC, there's specific events throughout the season that you have to get top four at those events to qualify into European Open. Okay. Are they, are they more Europe-centric? There yeah. are way more European Open – or sorry, there are way more European events to qualify you in than USDGC, yes. Um so that's a thing now. Did not even see like an announcement or anything about that. Just got a really uh, interesting email that just refunded my money. and was like, you're not in this tournament, bro. <laughs> Isn't it funny that like the European Open has qualifiers to get in? The US Worlds doesn't. And the World Championships are our end-all, be-all tournament. It's like, if you got they want that money, points, you're in, dude. They want that money. <laughs> they want a 1,000 people to sign up, baby. Let's get them all in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I will be trying my hardest now to not only qualify for USDGC this year, but also qualifying for the European Open. So keep tabs on that, folks. All right, last thing we got before my favorite segment. Natalie Ryan has officially sued the PDGA and the Disc Golf Pro Tour and is also specifically attacking the OTB Open. Yes. Those are all facts. Yeah. Um, I honestly... Not gonna lie, I did not know if she was gonna show up for LDC. I would not have been surprised if just to be like, "What are you gonna do? I'm here. I'm playing." Um, that didn't happen, but that was that did run across my mind. The lawsuits. I mean, I'm not gonna get too much in the lawyer situation, but. I will say with the OTB one, that one's very interesting. Calvin, we were kind of talking about this before the show started. 
of where there is some the reason why she's going after like OTB is there is some weird California law that yeah. uh I guess yeah Cal if you want to talk, touch touch on it a little bit cuz I you probably know a little bit more than I do on it yeah, I don't know a whole lot. I saw a video about it on, on YouTube. I forgot who even was talking about it. But I, I think there's some kind of uh, civil law preventing um, discrimination um, based on, like, you just can't discriminate based on uh, sex or gender. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how it's worded, but it's there. there is some law in California that um, I think Natalie and her uh, her team are specifically citing, um, and they're basically saying that uh, OTB is discriminating against her. So, um, or that event. Um, so that th- that's the reason why I think she's going after that event on the pro tour. And then I'm not exactly sure with the PDJ, but I'm gonna guess there's something, you know, in there about like. I think there's something in there about the law, the rules they changed targeting her, and she may have something, uh, a case there, seeing as like they really only changed the event or, like criteria for elite series and majors, and they're like that was their biggest misstep. Like, and that can, was their that was I don't know who thought about that or that got overlooked because I felt like when I heard that they were basically saying you can't play in these events, but at these events yeah we don't care at all because i believe natalie is actually playing in the memorial this weekend okay i, I think yeah. that's wild uh yeah and i think that's a mistake that's like that's exactly what discriminating is yeah i mean if it's unfair if you're claiming it's unfair it should be unfair across the board across the board 100 sure. yeah 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 i think uh she definitely has something to argue on that like the rules are obviously put in place to basically target her. I mean, I don't, I mean, there, there really aren't that many transgender athletes that were competing on, on the pro tour and she was the most successful of all of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she, she got two wins last year. I think, I think at OTB, I think she won or no, she didn't win at OTB. She came close. She won MVP and she won, um, Uh, D-Glow. She won Deeglo. Deeglo. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I know she was in it at OTB as well. I remember watching. There were several that. other tournaments that yeah, she was definitely in contention for sure. Um, I did. It was one of those situations too of where had she not gone and went one, I don't know if this gets brought up. You know, it was one of those where I feel like by her winning it kind of forced the hand of the pdga and the disc golf pro tour to make a decision then yeah. if she is was missing cash and stuff then it, it kind of can go under the the rug a little bit um but like who would have thought two lawsuits two big high level lawsuits going on in disc golf right now have we made it <laughs> we've made it somewhere um is this is this is this what it feels like uh, I, I mean, they're, 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 yeah, they're both not good in the sense of like, yeah. um, I mean, I, how can you have a good lawsuit? I guess if disc golf was like suing someone else, that's a good lawsuit, right? Like if, if disc golf, some disc golf company was like, Hey, we're going after this plastic company because they blah, blah, blah. If it was outside, but like two people suing each other inside of disc golf, probably not a good thing. 
Um, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens on that. Uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see too, like if, because I believe she filed for like damages and stuff with the PDGA yeah, yeah. as well. And so if like she wins that case, like does that money, essentially is that money just coming out of like membership fees, right? Like yeah, it would have to. Like that's that's how the PDGA makes their money: membership fees and yeah, memberships, and then the fees they collect off of you entering their sanctioned events. So. Um, and the other thing, the other thing to think about too is like, you hear all the time, we want tournaments on the West Coast, we want more tournaments, and I mean, how crazy would it be if the Disc Golf Pro Tour is just like, all right, we're not going to have the OTB Open in California anymore, we're just going to move it. The video that I saw kind of mentioned that 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 would kind of that would be like that would be awful bringing bringing in, and that she has a great case to actually be able because part of the thing that she's suing is to be able to play the OTB open, not only against the OTB open, but being like, no, I want to play in that specific event. And Mm. then the video that I saw, he said it was very likely that she, she'd be playing that tournament. Yeah. Yeah. We probably watched the same video because I feel like I remember um, hearing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I think she has a decently strong case in that one. And um, yeah, that was one of the solutions was just, moving the OTB open to a different state if the Pro Tour did not want to, um, you know, continue with that event or let her play. that they, they could basically negate the lawsuit by moving the event. Wild. All right, we're going to wrap it up. My favorite segment, I think everyone's favorite segment, Pet Peeves. So, Calvin, how this works essentially is we just talk about our biggest pet peeves in disc golf, and that can be anything – Playing-wise, that you see when you're playing, watching disc golf, uh, going out with your buddies, stuff that they do. Um, I can give you, I can give you an example. Pet peeve of mine is uh, this is this is a little tree huggy of Brody right now. I'm going to go into my tree hugging mode. I'm not a huge fan fan of like the vandalism side of disc golf. Sometimes, of where like you'll see stickers or people like writing their name and stuff that they aced on a basket and it can kind of just get i get it like you aced or you want to throw a sticker up or whatever but like at a certain point it kind of just like looks a little trashy or at a certain point you are kind of vandalizing the course in a way um i will say i do like the discharger i think that is a cool (laughs) thing on benches So I will say I am a fan a fan of dischargers uh, on courses, but I don't like people signing that they aced a hole by signing the basket, like the band. If you I need some you. time to think, you me and Yuli can. We got yeah, a lot, so we can just keep going. Trying, if you need you some time, Calvin. With new ones every week, so yeah. yeah. My <laughs> new one was from this last weekend, dude. This drives me nuts. If you're like get a bad break on the course and you go to your card mate and you're venting a little bit and they give you the cold shoulder. <laughs> wait, which which girls. one don't you wait, which one's your pet peeve? Are you the venter? Are you upset that they gave you the cold shoulder or are you the cold shoulder guy and upset that they're venting to you? I mean it's probably both of our pet peeves, but in that moment <laughs> I was venting and being like, dude, I'm the I get so unlucky and I'm be like <laughs> 
I'm like, oh, you want them to console and be like, bro, I can't believe it. You're like, this is the most unlucky I've ever seen. Yeah, it's you unreal. catch a bad break and you're looking for somebody to be like, hey, can I have my back. That was a bad break, right? And then they're like, no, it wasn't really a bad break. It was a little low. You're like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess oh. kind of maybe on the opposite end. I think one of my yeah. pet peeves are people that are like overly positive on your card when they, they tell you oh. like good run or nice bid and. You just like airball the thirty footer, or like you hit like two chains on the left side, and like I mean I know their intentions are good, but to me I don't know. No, like people we're, being we're, overly we're, positive in a moment that like I just really hate what I did. I hate it. Um, I got another one. I will say it's it's when pros aren't able to just say that they played bad right it kind of goes a little bit with yuli a little bit but i i can see like when you're in in the moment when something just happens like that i can see you kind of have that reaction but we should all be able to after a round like sit back and be like yeah i just threw a bad upshot there that wasn't a good putt kind of messed up bad diselection but i don't <laughs> I, I, it's tough when I see people posting on social media being like, I had seven breaks, seven bad breaks today. I am the most unlucky player in the world. And I, 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 I there's nothing I could do. Yeah. Take like I played, I, I played, I, I played unreal and I, <laughs> I, I, just, I got so unlucky and I shot four over today, but I played incredible. Like, I think just being able to sit back and be like, yeah, I kind of messed that up or I could have done better there. Um, that's a pet peeve of mine. That's so weird because I think my number one rule when I play and I tell myself is it's never my fault. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a good mindset, though. If you're playing and you're always thinking like some, like if you throw a bad shot or something, it's because of the wind changed or something. Uh, that could be a good mindset. When you're it's playing, it's more, it's more of a, a joke. I, I don't really feel that way, but I, I definitely, I do say it every once in a while. Um, just because I do feel like there are quite a few disc golfers that feel that way, that nothing's ever, ever really on them. And I think it is funny. I, I'm definitely in your camp, uh, Brody, on that one. But I would even say the flip side, I might even be, I'm on the same side of where like this, like, six time you know love or five it was five time last year when paul like throws a shot and like gets lucky and everyone's like oh my god he's the luckiest player i think i'm on the same side there of like if you're really freaking good you're going to look luckier than someone that's bad because the amount of bad shots a bad player has there's way more chances of like that just ending up poorly than if you're really good and you only have a couple bad shots and one of them you catch a good break, you're going to look like a lucky player. I don't think, I just don't see there's like I'm lucky or I'm unlucky. Both sides of the aisle, I, I don't believe it. I think everything kind of evens itself out. Uh, as far as getting breaks and not getting breaks, I mean, you, you just might get way more, worse breaks because you're putting yourself in that position way more times. We saw AB hit the rangefinder guy very next hole, hits a rock and stays in. Kind of evened out right there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know how that disc did not stay in bounds. Um, oh, here's a, here's a Jomez coverage pet peeve. Ready for this one? 
pet peeve when the uh, when they cut angles. Big pet peeve. Hate it. When I'm watching a beautiful flight, it's flipping up. It's sick. I get to see the flight. And then all of a sudden, they cut to an angle behind, and I've completely lost all sorts of idea of where the disc is, where it's going, where's the basket. Pet peeve. Hmm. I might be in the minority there. Yeah. Give us one more, Calvin. One more good one. Come on, man. Man. Pet peeves. Um... What about like a, a, a loud eater? Someone that's back there while you're like trying to line up a putt and they just got that protein bar and they're just crunching, just crunching like. Man, I mean, that, that would be, that would be annoying. That would be, that'd be tough, but I, man, I'm, I know there Someone are Someone asking what disc you threw? It's just now that I'm on the spot, I'm having trouble thinking yeah, well, about it. If I ask you what disc you threw, what disc was that, man? Uh, that right after you threw, me. doesn't bother you? Okay. What if yeah. it's a bad shot? <laughs> I think just about anything would bother me at that point, though. It's like I, I was just, this might be asking me questions about my shot. Well, like, there's your pet peeve when people talk to me after I throw a bad shot. Okay. I was gonna say, Yuli, Calvin might. This might be our hardest guest with pet peeves because he's just unflappable. You just yeah, can't get under his skin. True. Definitely not true, but I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm blanking now that I'm on the spot here. Um, if you if you have any, please let me know because if me and you for some odd reason are in this weird dream world where we're in contention at the end, uh, I'm definitely pulling out your pet peeves. I'm definitely times. pulling out my phone and playing Jomez coverage. And, <laughs> like, oh, look at this shot! Which look look at the they flip the angle. <laughs> no, why you flip the angle? Um, all right, last one I have. Are you pre? Uh, are you are you on the tee box of hole 18? Hey, great playing with you guys. Knuckles, knuckles. Yeah, awesome round, awesome round. Or are you post tapping out on hole 18? Hat off, pleasure playing with you. What side of the camp are you on? Hmm. I I, uh, I feel like it's a real disc golf thing doing the the knuckle bump um, before the 18th tee shot. I feel like that's a uh, that's just how it's always been. So I guess that's that's kind of where I am, just having played disc golf for a long time. But I really do – I do like the whole handshake afterwards. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. It's like basically showing respect to your competitors. And um, it probably makes more sense than the knuckle bumps, but I think I'm just going to have to go with tradition here because the knuckle bump on the tee box is uh, just how I, I grew up. Did you knuckle bump with Kevin before 18? Yeah. Any words or just good playing with you? Kind of just kept it quick. Yeah, and- yeah I mean, it was quick. Um, Watch that headwind out there, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think in those situations it is it is a little strange because, I mean, yes, I am playing the course, but at that point, like, I am kind of playing Kevin heads up. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a little strange, you know, when you're like, pretty locked in and kind of hyper-focused on being one person to um, really acknowledge them in any kind of, like, positive way, I guess. Um, Because internally, like, as a competitor, you're like, this is the last thing standing between me and what I want. Um, But 
it's not very often that I, I feel like I'm sitting there within one stroke going into the last hole, you know? So it's Absolutely. not that uncomfortable that many times. You, is it true? I've heard stories of like some of the older players, like really like some of the older, I mean, they're older players now, but back when they're in their primes and stuff, they would play like mind games and stuff. Oh yeah. That's, that was pretty, I don't feel like I haven't really encountered that much on the pro tour. Uh, it feels like everyone's pretty, pretty nice to one another, but it sounded like back in the day, like there were some serious mind games going on between one another to the point of like what you just said of like, hate you know hey good play with you but hate for you to throw ob on this hole that would really suck something like that right before you you're about to go on the tee for sure that's how i grew up with playing is like the people i grew up playing with were just the biggest crap talkers you ever seen in your life like and then when i started playing with dan ginley who's you know hall of fame player so this guy never stopped talking ever and i remember stories of of people being like yeah before you know how to put to win and he asked me if i breathed in or out when i put it before you put do you breathe in and out like hey good playing with you i'd be like crap do i breathe in and out that's all i would be thinking on the next putt is like am i supposed to breathe in or am i supposed to breathe out right now yeah so like there was definitely i was definitely a part of the game and i got a little some pieces Dude, I played this guy, I won't say his name, but I remember airballing a putt from 25 feet to beat this guy. And he said, he looked at me and said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I lost, bro. I lost in the playoff. Like we went to another hole and it was brutal. But, oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, bad back oh. then, for sure. But, I mean, think I about it from his perspective. He probably was praying for you to miss that 25-footer. <laughs> he felt like his prayers were answered. Oh, yeah. He was truly thankful in that moment. He did. He looked at me and he said, thank you. And I was like, what? I honestly wouldn't mind having a little sprinkle of that on the Pro Tour every once in a while. Yeah. I, could see it, I could see it get a little annoying if it was consistently, but like a little sprinkle. Just see some people squirm, mm-hmm. you know, make it a little change, a little dance. But all right, I think that's going to wrap it up, though. Calvin, you've been great. Awesome. Um, really looking forward to seeing what you do throughout this season. Honestly, I think, um, just being able to, you know, cause we've, we've played a lot of practice rounds together over the last few years and, you know, being able to just kind of watch your game, uh, progress into the point of where now it's like, you know, every single tournament you are one of the favorites to win has been awesome. And also just want to say thanks for all the tips. I definitely, threw a lot of low shots into the ground this past weekend that saved me a lot of strokes. So I always am thankful for whenever you help me out with that. And, um, we got Waco. Are you just going to be chilling in Florida, uh, leading up to Waco? You're taking the week off. Yeah, this week I have off. Um, I think, uh, I'll probably start heading up there, you know, in a couple of days, uh, hopefully get to Waco. I think I'm probably just going to, you know, Drive to Pensacola, spend a couple of days up there, see some friends, and then drive out to Waco maybe Sunday or Monday, and then um, yeah, have that week to practice for Waco. I don't, I don't know if there's any course changes, but there really hasn't been many in the past, so probably not too much. Should be a a pretty easy one to practice for. Um, I think that one's kind of a pretty crazy tournament where anyone can win at that tournament. Yes. Like it's 
I feel like it's one of the shorter courses, especially relative to par that we that we play throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't really think distance is too much of a factor. And I think the shots that are required in those woods are pretty executable by everybody in the field. So it's just who's going to do it that week, which I think probably makes it pretty dang exciting for um, the viewers to watch. I think there's almost always some some new faces on the screen for that one. Um, and yeah, I, I never really know where I'm going to place in that one. It could be top yeah, you five, can, could be 35th. I have no clue. But I love that course too because like you could have like a four shot lead going into the woods, and then coming out of the woods, you've like are down four, and you're just yeah. like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Um, I also heard a little birdie. Let me know if this is true. A little birdie says that you might have some interest in uh, joining my uh, Airbnb squad that we have over here. Is that is that accurate or is that uh is that just rumor? It's it was offered to me. Uh, you know, you know, this birdie is pretty big birdie if it's the same <laughs> bird I'm talking of something. But yeah, no, I, it's possible at some point. I I don't really know. I'm uh super behind on really lodging plans a lot of places right now. So um, well, you're welcome anytime. So just send me the text. Let me know that you need a place, and we will we will gladly boost up to uh, a nice four bedroom massive house to a five bedroom mansion um, okay. if you're if you're down so all right yeah I'll definitely keep you in the loop on that you you got anything else to wrap up you're chilling you're gonna win Memorial this weekend is that the plan yeah, I think so yeah probably okay just go out shoot fun. like a, a smooth 16 under at Fountain Hills be yeah, down four like like you have to to win here and then you do. that'll boost my rating back up maybe i'll be able to sign up for a couple majors here soon that'd be good over yeah. under the over under 2.5 discs lost this weekend or this week for you in the water i won't lose any i don't i usually don't lose any here okay dang that's impressive that's, that is impressive i, I for me it's I mean, over maybe, for me maybe it's over. one maybe one like okay. I played okay. two practice rounds. I haven't lost anything. Today was really windy and I didn't practice that much, but I played fountain and fountain went pretty smooth. It's those little oh. island holes are the ones that you might lose one, you know, like the little, well, yeah, like those yeah, the little 200 into, footer like, where like the green is 10 feet wide. Yes. Those, yeah. yeah. Those are the ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those right. ones always make you Parker. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's going to do it for Tour Life, guys. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you for everyone that tuned in live with us. We go live at 8 p.m. Eastern Wednesday nights. You can also catch the audio version on Apple, on Spotify, uh, your favorite pa podcast forms. Make sure you follow Calvin as well. Calvin, you post mostly on Instagram, right? You're not the biggest tweeter in the world. I, I don't. I don't really do the tweeter but the, the twitter know, yeah the tweet, tweet maybe maybe you know maybe i will at some point you know <laughs> well, once like, i start blowing you up with all these up. with all these volunteers getting hit by discs you're gonna have to respond people are going exactly. to i'm gonna be, have to say know. something i'm gonna yeah. have to take the, the volunteers back while you're just out here bashing volunteers <laughs> i hate I'm volunteers i'm i i think volunteers are the worst people in disc golf oh boy there, there's your sound bite um, oh God. but, uh, make sure, make sure you tune in, uh, to what Calvin's doing over on his Instagram and, uh, make sure you guys pay attention to disc golf network next week. We're going to be in Waco, Texas, where like Calvin was saying, anything can happen. 
Until then, we'll see you next time. Later.